The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. The two important Somebody gave me this recently. Check that out. Oh, the real McCoy? That's the real McCoy. Yeah. They find these on my property yeah. outside of Waco. They're all over the place in Texas. Yep. I mean, this this land was occupied for a I long time that. by Native Americans. Think it's, it's obs- something. Think it's obsidian? Or? I don't know what it's made out of. I don't know much about rocks, but it's something special about holding one of those, isn't it? Always. Yeah. I killed a goose with a Port Orford cedar arrow, real natural turkey feathers built by George Nichols at Jackson Archery in the 30s, the arrows. The head I found on the Rouge River in Detroit, and I was shooting a a U longbow. I might have been eight. So you found a a Native American arrowhead, and you use a 1930s wooden arrow with real turkey feathers. High-profile shield cut that George Nichols made, who I eventually got to hunt with, who made all of Fred Bear's arrows. There's much mojo that that emits from my spirit because I've been in such unique environments. But anyhow, I went to a... I went to the, what was the name of the cemetery? Wildwood Cemetery on Grand River and and Six Mile Road in Detroit, right off the Rouge River. There's a cemetery there. And the geese always landed in the ponds and the little creeks that ran off the Rouge River. And I snuck in there with my cousin, Mark Schmidt. And I still have that U-wood longbow. I ended up putting electric tape around it because it started to split a little bit from 1954. Five, maybe? Wow. And there was some Canadian geese on a pond, and we snuck in almost like Ishii, like, like Org from the year three, and sneaking <laughs> in through the reeds and the nasty shit. And I drew back and shot that goose, and it flopped all around. But we got that goose, ran to the fence, climbed over the fence, and took it home. I, I think it's amazing, but I would feel so nervous to lose one of those heads. There's something about those heads, like... I don't think you're supposed there's a lot of places where you're not supposed to pick them up which I find to be very bizarre. Yeah, when I was in Nevada, we were hunting mule deer. I was with Steve Ranella and uh, I found one there and they informed me that you're not supposed to pick it up. Huh. What man has the authority to tell you that? I don't understand. Well, I think they the idea is that it's an artifact and that you're supposed to just leave it there, which I don't understand because like either I'm allowed to pick it up and it should go to some sort of uh, uh, some museum or something. I mean, I don't, I don't know where they would keep them. I would like to but think to that leave ha- it there. Hand me downs um, continue the mojo, pass the mojo on. Don't you think the mojo handed from hand to hand, from generation to generation, <gasps> would have more spirit? Div- production, spirit productivity than leaving it on what the. They might call sacred grounds. Yeah, is that the theory? I, don't, I mean, the Speaking Native American, some Native American folks have had a real problem with people picking up artifacts and and claiming them as their own. Understood. I think that's that's the issue with it. But um, for me, I mean, we were on a, a bow hunting trip, um, and to find an arrow and to know that someone, some Native American, had been in that same area hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and you know, hunting for their food to feed their family. In that same ground, and that I had picked up a part of their weapon. It's pretty amazing. Well, it might not be historical artifact, but I, I bring, I come bearing. You got gifts. a lot of stuff. There's like I a, come what is bearing that, a flag? gifts. 
What do you got there? I brought Come you, and take it. I, I brought you this. <laughs> they have one at the, the exact. Oh, it's signed. Except this one's autographed. So it yeah. Has, it has all right. I like it. They so have one just you. like that at the range in Austin, signed by our governor. Yes, put that. And Thank I also just because I ran out of the garage with them, also a come and take it hat. I'm going to take it hat signed. Also, a very Joe Rogan, I will not comply autographed hat. Oh, nice. And the reason I'm grabbing these is because wow. it's a great story. This is a great story of my life. You can have that one. And then uh, re-elect that motherfucker hat. And this is a Ted Nugent Sunrise Safari's Will Hunt oh. for Food. And nice. because I gave these to my grandkids over the holidays, this is so important. I don't know if you carry a flashlight with you, but starting today, you will. This little... Browning flashlight from my buddy George Britton at, at Britton's Archery in Tarpon Springs, Florida. Whoa. It is so bright. And then when you're going to your stand in the morning. Oh, you got a green one too. So you don't Double alert. it up. Nice. And then this will go super bright, middle and low. That's I amazing it, that it's that bright and so small. I use it 10 times a day. And when we came USB to the studio charger. earlier, I had to show, uh, show it Jeff where the lock was. 360 lumens. That's a lot. Right? For a little tiny thing like I used to carry a big ass flashlight in my pocket. Well, and it clips onto your pants with that little Or uh, your clip on hat the when you were a cat. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, I, I wear one of those when I go into the woods. So Merry Christmas, Happy Thank Thanksgiving, you, Happy Birthday. This should, these are much. enough gifts for our next four or five years if we don't run into each other right. again. I like it. Thank you very much. Appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. So my first opening volley. Okay. Most important thing, yes. Joe, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Tim? You seem good. Thank you. You seem good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you, you're healthy. You're yes. happy. You're yeah. focused. Yes. You got a samurai thing going on. Yes, everything's good. I'm That's very happy. That's all I wanted to know. A samurai thing? What Be, do you mean? Well, supreme focus. Oh, okay. Dedication to being oneness with any given <laughs> endeavor. And obviously, you're, if you're arrowing elk with Cameron and, and Hunt with Steve Ranella, that's that's what I call the samurai touch with nature. Those guys live that stuff. You live that stuff. I live that stuff. So I want to make sure you're feeling good. I'm feeling good. Yeah, I'm very fortunate to know those guys. To be able to have a mentor like my first mentor, Steve Rinella, to be able to to have that guy take me out hunting Michigan for my boy. first time. Yes, Michigan boy. Great, great tradition yeah. in Michigan. So what do you got in this pot here? That's Co coffee, sir. Can you I have a slug coffee? of that? There you go. Let me slug of that. So I bring you positive spirit and energy and attitude and uh, bring everything. goodwill and decency. I'm having the greatest hunting season of my life. I'm shooting some mystical arrows into some sacred pump stations. I'm getting a lot of venison donated to soup kitchens and homeless shelters and neighbors and making gifts to the band and the crew since we haven't toured and everybody is horny to unleash the musical beast. Yeah, that is a, a beautiful thing about that. A Hunters for the Hungry program. Beautiful nationwide. It's incredible. Two hunt when I t I do media all the time, and the hunting thing always comes up. Of and, course. And if they don't bring it up, I make sure I do because it needs to be promoted and celebrated in the face of stupidity. Which boy, do yeah. I have a great story for you? You're gonna. I don't know. You're gonna love this. You already love me, but you're gonna love me more in a moment. Really? Yes. Let me prepare myself. So anyhow, when I do the media and I explain to them about venison, organic, renewable, nutritious, pure, natural, healthy, good, good, win, 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 win. Mm -hmm. I never get any pushback. Not since the '60s and '70s, where hippies pushed back, um, because it's universally, at least, understood in its most basic truism. Yeah. 
But whenever I bring up that the Hunters for the Hungry has been going on, Hunters for the Hungry, Sportsmen Against Hunger, various state organizations where they distribute natural harvested surplus venison to homeless shelters, soup kitchens, needy families. Even the Glenn Beck, he goes, 250 million hot meals a week a year? Come on, that can't be true. And I go, well, you got Ted Nugent talking to you. If it's coming out of my mouth, it's true. I do research. I don't have opinions. I have facts. Is I have really evidence. Is that much? 250, 250 million, million pure, nutritious meals of venison. How many animals is that? That's crazy. I mean, but we kill you, obviously ten, you kill a, a, tens animals, of millions, many, many, many yes, meals nationwide. Yeah. yeah, but it's um, that's is that pigs as well, or is it just no, uh, elk, deer, mostly deer, probably ninety percent deer. Not many have, people uh, donate elk meat. Plate, no, don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I donate to friends, good. but I have to love them dearly. <laughs> well, I I am a generous, loving guy. But I keep the backstraps. Yeah. Okay, I'm generous, but I'm not an idiot. Yeah. Well, the roasts are pretty damn good too. Um. I have played on this podcast multiple times. You uh, shooting pigs out of a helicopter. So beautiful. It's, <laughs> it's talking about samurai. But it's it's a crazy thing that like p- people that don't understand will look at that and go, this is horrible. This is awful. It's like you don't understand invasive species. You don't understand the fact that this actually has to be done. And if you're a person that likes to eat vegetables, guess what? They're going to eat them all. They're going to destroy right. them all. Like they, they need to do something about these animals, and there's no way you can stop them from breeding. There's it, millions of pigs in Texas alone. Tens of millions. Yeah. If, if I may put please. the definitive comment on that. Yeah, please do. If you have a problem with killing pigs from a helicopter, you're an idiot. And let me help fix you, because we're all idiots at some point in life, because right. we don't know nothing. There's ignorance, and I've been ignorant. I'm, st- I'm currently ignorant on how to weld. I need to learn that. But I admit my ignorance so that I don't f- fuck up a weld. I get right. a guy who's not ignorant about welding. So let me fix the ignorant out there and see if I can't weld some intelligence into their otherwise craving mind for information. When we kill pigs from a helicopter, it benefits the environment because they destroy the environment. They erode everything, and it causes devastation to waterways and riverine habitat and just every habitat. So we're saving the environment. So shut up. We're saving agriculture because they destroy tens of millions of dollars of agriculture every year. So we're saving agriculture. That's, I think that's just in Texas. Yeah, tens just of just Texas, yeah. not to mention California yeah, and all over Mississippi. The and so when we, when we kill pigs from a helicopter— we have created an industry that I legalized before I called then Governor Perry and then Attorney General Greg Abbott. It was, was against your idea? the helicopter thing. Yeah, it was against the law. You couldn't pay a helicopter pilot to shoot pigs. Only government agents were allowed to do it in Texas. I know that sounds like a New York law, but it was in Texas. And when the, my buddy Johnson said, well, you can't pay me for gas, I go, well, it's got to be expensive. The helicopter cross-collateralization, the, the, I can't pay you. And the game warden go, I hope you're not uh, paying him to do that. And I go, well, who are you? How, how could you possibly think you have the authority to determine whether I pay for the gas in a helicopter as I go up and shoot pigs? Where do you? Well, that's the law. When I, so, Wait, I, so the law was you couldn't pay for it? You couldn't pay for it. What, why? Is it like a prostitution don't start thing? Ask, don't ask why. Right? Why isn't Hillary is in prison? I mean, I mean, why isn't she in prison? That's my point. The why question. question is, is if eternal. Anyhow. Right. So I called Governor Perry and I said, Rick you've got to be kidding me because everybody knows that wild hogs in Texas are an absolute scourge 
scourge of a liability. You're craving systems by which we can reduce the population. And then you make the most effective solution illegal. He goes, well, I had no idea. I'm like, well, the guitar player will help. Now, I need to call Greg Abbott. So on the hunt was Chris Kobach, who happens to be a constitutional attorney, really a wise one, a really super one, right up there with Cruz. And so we, he Googled the laws, and he rewrote them at the camp. At the helicopter camp, we're slamming hogs from the helicopter. We're saving farmers money. We're saving the environment. We're saving wildlife because hogs kill everything they can finally they run into, whether it's eggs or fawns. And or, they're delicious. And, and, and pigs are delicious. That's why we created Hogs for a Cause charity, where ah. we pick up the dead hogs, we process this organic pork, and we feed soup kitchens and homeless shelters. So don't you see it's win, 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 win. Everything is good. There's nothing bad about it. Well, it's not sport. Well, then you share with me your last helicopter hog hunt, where you hit the pigs every time from a moving helicopter and an erratically running hog. Shut the fuck up. Anyhow, so after we called Abbott and, and, and Perry and Chris Kobach, these guys are attorneys, and I don't hold it against them, uh, they rewrote it. Two weeks later, it was legal. And here's the next win. We created an enormous new industry that is generating tens of millions of dollars for travel, hotels, groceries, ammo, sporting goods, taxidermists, ice, beer, guides, outfitters, helicopter owners. So it's win, 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 win. So I'll go back to my opening statement. If you're against this completely, conclusively, definitively win situation for everything, you're an idiot. Now take the information I just shared with you and try to eliminate your idiocy. Now, let, I know you're going to listen Please to me. Do. This is the most important thing we're going to talk about today. Okay. I had a great time with you in L.A., and we talked about stuff, and I talked about a vegan diet, a vegan vegan diet. You corrected me. I called it vegan. You said vegan. My son is one. And I said, well, don't you know if you really wanted to kill the most things possible, you would be a vegan because the plow in the disc kills everything preparing the field for your being." your tofu. And then anything that might just be dismembered and slithered out of the way or the disc of the plow, then they come in with Monsanto and poison the shit out of them. Are you aware, Joe Rogan, that I was bombarded? And I understand that you heard from a lot of people that never thought of it that way, that mm -hmm. the preparing of tofu is the most genocidal slaughter procedure available on planet Earth because you have to kill everything that interferes with the bean production. Well, last night on Yellowstone, a very popular series, Kevin Costner playing the boss hog of the Yellowstone ranch quoted me almost verbatim on that statement as he confronted some animal rights people on the show last night. And mm. I have been bombarded barded lately with people going, Costner quoted you from the Joe Rogan interview when he confronted Adam Wright from hundreds of people who saw it. The producers, Sher Taylor Sheridan, according to my son Toby, is a big fan of my defiant ballet, my defiance ballet, and he must have heard our exchange. And it, Joe, it was almost verbatim of what I said on your podcast. That's amazing. It's 
it's awesome because people who respond to me said, yeah, I, I see what you mean. I never thought of it that way. Well, maybe you should start thinking. The thing is, like, people think of animals dying as, like, a deer is, like, if you shoot a deer, you, you killed an animal. But they don't think that if you want to grow lettuce, you have to displace wildlife. You have to do what's called monocrop agriculture. And when you have thousands of acres of soybeans, for example, that's not normal. It's not no, normal no. for the ground to have only one plant for thousands of acres. And it's not, it's not sustainable. The only way they can do that is to kill everything that kill was there. everything. And the amount of rabbits that they have to kill. Slaughter. Gophers, Songbirds. Birds. Everything, snakes, turtles, yeah. voles, shrews. Anything that's ground nesting gets churned up in the in the in the in the wheels. It's just it's they think of it as you're eating plants. And but you can do it in a way where you're not gonna kill anything if you grow your own. If you want to grow your own vegetables, you have your own garden, you do it organically, you compost all your you know, your 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 waste and it's possible to do. But most people are not doing that. Most people are a part of something that's awful. And most people who eat meat are a part of something that's awful too. And I think you and I will both agree that factory farming yes. is fucking disgusting. Disgusting. It infuriates me. And, and, you know, before I became a hunter, I was on the fence. I, I watched I that. so many PETA videos and I was like, I'm either going to be a vegetarian or I'm going to be a hunter. I met Ranella. He took me hunting. I shot a mule deer. We cooked it over a fire. And I Perfect. go, this is what I'm doing. Perfect. From, I, it felt like I had tapped in, like I'd opened up a door to some DNA that I didn't know existed. And the way I explain it to people that I've never hunted, I'm like, do you know that feeling when you catch a fish? There's a feeling when the fish is on the line. There's an excitement that doesn't even totally make sense. But what that excitement is, there's a, there's a primal door that opens up where you realize you are now going to feed your family. You have this fish, it's on the line, you're going to pull it in, this wild animal that you've captured will now, it, it will now give nutrients to your loved ones. That is, there's in, it's in there. It's in your DNA. And when you hunt, when you, the first time I shot that deer and we were sitting there cooking and eating it over the fire, I knew it right away. I was yeah. like, okay, this is how you're supposed to eat meat. Because you're a smart man. This is how you're supposed to eat meat. You're supposed to go get it. Yeah. That's Hello, how you're supposed that, to, That's yeah. why I was attacked all throughout my career yeah. for murdering innocent animals. And I knew that what I was doing was pure. Well, there's also the reality that no animal in the wild dies in a nice way. They no. don't die of old age. It's Tooth. Not, Fang and claw. I've, I've used the term tooth, fang, and claw, and nobody knows what that means. I have to explain it. But when I was growing up, that's the description of nature. Yeah. Because it is the description of nature, tooth, fang, and claw. There is no gentle death in nature. It's all prolonged, heartbreaking to the human psyche, yeah. and real. It's natural. It's, that's the, that's the way the cycle works. I mean, there's a reason... The, the, the horrible thing is, if, if it didn't happen that way, they would overpopulate and it would be terrible Disease. diseases. Yeah. I mean, Destruction is, of habitat. Yeah. And Here's the bottom line. Shit has to die. Yes. The surplus has to be utilized with reverence, i.e. garlic and butter. Revenue generated, family hours of recreation. Well, how can you enjoy killing an animal? Because it's a challenge, because it's a fulfilling spiritual experience knowing that God created these beasts, much like the aboriginal people 
put the the uh, the hieroglyphics on the cave wall because they they were desperate to adequately convey reverence right. for this beast that was difficult to get close to with a sharp stick. They had to dedicate themselves to a higher level of awareness, predator capabilities, reasoning predator, in order to kill it cleanly because the mastodon would kill them if they didn't kill it cleanly. And then that hunter brought not just food, food, clothing, shelter, medicine, tools, weapons, and more important than any of that, and I'm just a stupid guitar player, but I figured this out by the time I was 12, more important than the tools and the weapons and the food and the protein and the, and the, 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 the clothing and, the, and the, the shelters, which was what the bison and the mastodon provided, there is a sense when you're done of eternal spirit that this isn't just tangible physical stuff, that something else happens, like you talked about around the campfire, chewing on a, a mule deer backstrap, when you teach your grandkids how to catch that fish and fillet that beautiful fillet off of that skeleton and fry it up and you eat it. It is a, it's a physical ballet, but it's equal as a spiritual ballet because you're for a dirt bag if you're a dunce and if you don't care you have to hire somebody else to do it and that's where the factory farming comes in and i got a i got a comment god bless the farmers and ranchers because if we want 10 billion chickens a week that's how you gotta do yeah. it yeah i'm not uh, and there's by the way there's a lot of ranchers that they treat their animals very well and they really just have one bad moment of one day Yes, sir. and that's when they get that piston through the brain, and, it, and it happens instantaneously. There's there's a lot of great ranchers out there. There's, I've hung out with them all my life. Yeah, it's and not the, all factory farming. Like the, you, you the, can buy ethically raised food. The majority of them are conscientious yeah. stewards. They they watch the water, the soil, the air. There's they, a company that we work with too. It's called Butcher Box, and they source great, all, great stuff. Yeah, it's a good great yeah. company, and they source all their food from ethically uh, ethical ranchers. Ethical, like uh, their their seafood, all it's also from sustainable sources. All their chickens are free range wild chicken. I mean, that's not wild, but free range chickens. That's a proper responsible reaction yeah. to the dumbing down of America, where they don't care. Right, and then of course we can get into the insanity of squalling for health care because people don't care about their health and it starts with diet the yeah, sugar diet's the, the most important thing isn't that funny that like all this healthcare talk very 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 little talk about losing weight mm. and and then making sure you eat good nutrition i very lost... little talk of it through through this whole pandemic it was an amazing opportunity for the government to say folks here is one of the most important things you can do for your immune system make your body healthy tucker carlson is the only guy i've seen that mentions that specifically yeah i think he's a great guy but well, i tucker's got... a fish you know hardcore yeah hardcore fly hardcore fisherman. yep that's why and he was on Ranella's podcast and i was really impressed with his, his he knows knowledge the stuff, of yeah. fishing and well, the fact how he's so dedicated to it and he understands the physics this physics of spirituality about the dedication and tying that fly to yeah. just like the midge it's an art form the fly fishing thing is weird though to me because a lot of them just let them go they're just out there. I can't catch and release. Fucking with fish. Yeah. I know there's some the streams where you have to, and yeah. I, I yeah. admit that. But I'm not going to fish there because I like a slab. Yeah. I, I, I find it odd. I mean, I know that's fun to do. I've done it before. You know, I've, I've gone fly fishing. I've gone um, salmon fishing when you have to let them go. I get it. But it's weird. 
It doesn't feel right. No, you know, it feels, this is food. You don't let food go. It also felt like imagine if you could like shoot an elk in the head with like a blunt dart and it knocked him out cold, don't and then do you it. walked up on him, took a picture of him, and then gave him some well, smelling you your, salts and got let him your go. Rhino hunting in Africa, the green rhino hunts, where right? You dart yeah, them. they dart them, yeah, but yeah. I'm not interested in that either. I'm not interested in that. Well, I. I would be interested in going to one of those things because you know there's a whole conservation effort to try to save those rhinos and i think it'd be fascinating just to be around them sure. and watch it happen but sure. that you know there was a guy that i had on the podcast many years ago cory knowles knowlton or no cory knowlton knowlton yeah he's a guy who uh there was a big hullabaloo because he bought a black rhino tag for hundreds of thousands of dollars and people wanted to kill him and he did a great job of explaining the money that he's spending to go and hunt this black rhino. First of all, they had to kill that rhino because that rhino was killing. It was all a rogue. The, it was a. I have my own story. I did one. I killed one. Well, let me, let's. We we'll get to that in a second. But his story was interesting because the black rhino is an endangered animal. It is, and it was killing all these viable young males. Yep. But it wasn't viable anymore. So it wasn't. It was no longer breeding, but it was still killing. It had to so go. They had to do something about it, and so. The money that he spent doing that goes towards conservation to take care of these rhinos. And CNN, of all places, this is back when CNN wasn't quite as fucked up, they did a really good job explaining this. And they wow. followed him around, and the guy who is the reporter said, I have a much better understanding of what this is all about. And it's very confusing. Honesty from CNN. It's, it's a, look, Can I have a copy of that? I'd, I, I think would worship just, it. It was just a video of it. But it's, <laughs> it's a very confusing thing to people that don't understand that the whole reason why the animals are thriving in Africa is because people want to pay to shoot them. And that's like, to a lot of people, that is a real problem. Like, they have a real problem with that. Like, that is, Except that that's, that's not all that is. I'm 73 in two weeks. You look great. Uh, like I said, if I had some sleep, I'd really be handsome. Um, but I hunt so hard every day, I just beat the shit out of myself, and it's so fun. The only you were thing... saying you were on day, before we get started, you, you you were saying before the podcast, you were on day, what, 30 what? I don't know. No, this is, uh, what is it, November 29? I started mid-August. Wow. Um, and I hunt every day. This is the first day I slept in. Wow. First day I slept in. If it's raining, I duck hunt. If it's not raining, I deer hunt. Or I, I hunt every day. I live on a ranch and shit needs to die. And I get a kick out of sneaking up on him with a bow and arrow. It's so difficult that the challenge. How many meals do you think you donate every year to the hunters for the hungry? <sighs> Thousands. 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 That's incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, kill it really a lot is of amazing. Deer. Because if like if you just donated to soup camps or soup kitchens rather, and you donated to any other organization that feeds the hungry. You know, you'd have to spend a fuckload of money to get thousands of meals. And they need meat. They can get yeah. dented cans of beans. They can mm -hmm. get four-day-old bread, but they can't get meat. Right. So the majority of soup kitchens and homeless shelters, I work with uh, Project Caritas in Waco, and we got butchers in Michigan where we donate whole carcasses. And again, I'm a sweetheart, but I'm not an idiot. I keep the back straps. <laughs> I mean, not all of them, but most of the backstraps. That's, yeah. that's what we like. But anyhow, um, that system regarding the rhino is a perfect example because it's so controversial. I killed a white rhino in South Africa in 95, 96. This rhino had killed three rhinos, ravaged entire agriculture operations, and had killed young elephants. It was a rogue rhino. He was 20-some years old. And they had to kill him. Now, there's a choice. If you want to save rhinos and save other animals, this rogue rhino has to die. 
you can take tax dollars or however they do it in Africa, and you can hire people to go kill it, or you can sell that tag, someone who wants the big five or someone who's fascinated by dangerous game and big giant animals. And I'd never killed a rhino, and as growing up, rhinos were the symbol of like the ultimate dangerous hunt, even though they're not, um, something I learned later. But the money I paid for that rhino paid for years of salaries for anti-poaching squads to save the rhino. So my killing the rhino saved many rhinos and other wildlife. And the the elephant that I killed in South Africa had already killed people. It came over from the Thule herd in South Af- from Botswana across the, uh, uh, the the Limpopo River, and had ravaged agriculture, destroyed villages. The elephant had to die. Now, that's not the typical scenario is not like the deer and the elk and the moose and antelope are threatening people, but they produce surplus. The animals have babies every year. The ground doesn't expand. The population increases every spring, but the ground not only doesn't expand, it recedes because of habitat destruction. I I think it's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. Well, they need to start swallowing it. I know, but they don't hear it enough. I mean, if they if don't it wasn't hear for it you like and this, me, I don't think anybody hear this. Stuff. It's hard to hear it. It's it's hard to have the conversation because if you go go to the average person, you say, "Is there ever any reason to shoot a rhino?" They'd be like, "Fuck no!" Don't you know that rhinos are dying? Okay, well, what if the rhino's killing other rhinos? They'd go, "Does that happen?" Like they don't even yes, know. They don't I've, even know. Joe, you're talking to the yeah, guy who's been I on the know. front line of this stuff I all know. my life. I know you have. I've, you, I, I, but I go to Whole Foods or I'm at yeah. the Starbucks or I'm in Mill Valley, north of San Francisco. People come up to me all the time that don't look like conservationists or conservatives yeah. or Ted Nugent fans. And they initiate this dialogue with me. And within minutes, if they have certain questions about assault weapons or shooting endangered species, yeah. I, I take a deep breath and I be in the consummate gentleman trying to educate them in a gentle way, but in a non um, compromising way. Do you and ever within get tired minutes, of doing it? Cause you've been no, doing not it for at so all. long. Because the, the edu- the anti-education system has so efficiently dumbed down such a huge swath of our culture that I feel like I was just going to share the the gal from Starbucks in is it Mill Valley or Valley Mills north of Cal- north of San Francisco um, confronted me and I just took a couple minutes to explain surplus and value. What did she say to you? She goes, I can't believe that you would kill an elk. Mm. And I go, well, have you ever eaten elk? I mean, what do you eat? I mean, I'm a vegan. I then explained the whole tofu yeah. slaughter system. She goes, yeah, but still. And I go, no, not, no, it's not, not still. yeah, but still. That's Here's never a legitimate too, response. Is, you have to ask them, does one animal equal, does one life, is one life equal or are lives more valuable when they're big? And the beautiful thing about that environment in that ultra liberal environment she is aware of the field, the the field to table restaurants yes. in in that area yeah. where they're getting these wild pigs and mm. they're getting the permits to process them and right. deer meat and and wild squirrels and and raccoon. They're eating raccoons. Who's eating raccoons? Where are they eating they're raccoons? up in San Francisco. There's a field to table specialty restaurant where they, they need to eat looters. <laughs> I wonder well, if I don't about eat them. We need to trap them. Um, <laughs> but so, so, 
common sense mm-hmm. once explained with adequate evidence to support the explanation, I find that it's approaching 100% of the time those hardcore against it literally turn... I literally have seen this happen so many times. Oh, I didn't know that. They always turn their head and they kind of wince and go... Because they want to cling to the fantasy that they can save a life by not killing a, a moose. Right. And I, within minutes, one, and I do this on our Spirit of the Wild show, you should, see, you should see the bombardment of emails and correspondence I get where when I was on your podcast, Jesse James, who builds the guns and the hot rods here in Austin, he said, I fixed his daughters who were viciously against him hunting and catching mm. fish and not releasing them until they heard the explanation of how many things die for a salad. Yeah. Um, and he said, they never heard it like that before. And quite honestly, neither did I. But I live this stuff. I, I've driven a tractor. I see the seagulls and the crows behind me. And I see the, the slithering, dismembered creatures that the plow destroyed and that's why the seagulls and the crows are following the tractor to eat these wounded animals because in order to get a tofu salad you got to kill the shit out of a whole bunch of stuff what i was getting at is that you got to ask a lot of these folks too does one life equal one life does the life of one small rodent like a mouse that gets run over in a tractor is that the same as an elk because if i shoot one elk i eat that elk for a year yes you know? Joe, I had this conversation with my son Rocco, who's in the other room. How'd your son become a vegan? He's uh, a very nice guy. He, Don't mean he, to pick on you, Rocco. He's an amazing. Is he in here right now? No, he's looking. Uh, at but the no, I love him, Matt. I love, <laughs> love him so much; it's immeasurable. And he's so smart. He's such a smart ass. He's such a is that a rebellion critical thing? Because his I know, dad's Ted Nugent. No, some people jump to that conclusion, but he has a digestive condition, oh. and he discovered a diet where he didn't have complications, and that diet ended up being hardcore vegan. What is the digestive complication? Um, he'd have to explain it, but. It's a, Do you it's know a, that I have a, a buddy of mine who's a hunter who got that um, that Lone Star Tick disease? Oh, geez, yeah. You know that? Yes. The Lone Star Tick, these people, it's it's something Immune called alpha gal. Allergic to meat. Yeah, and yes. he's he's a hunter, and he's allergic to meat. He got it during a hunt. What a He had pisser. a tick burrow itself. It's, it's really kind of ironic. He had a tick burrow itself on a hunt. In, into his belly button, and he didn't realize it was Holy even in there. Shit. And then eventually, by the time he got it out there, he was feeling sick. He didn't feel good. He went and got diagnosed, uh. and he started. Whenever he'd eat meat, he'd have headaches, and he'd feel oh, awful. Man. And he got this disease, which is um, there's a lot of uh, diseases that come from ticks, folks. And Lyme disease is Serious the most notorious stuff. one. But this uh, one from the Lone Star tick, it has something called. It's like alpha galactose, or they call it alpha gal for short, I believe. I, I don't know the exact term of the uh, the the enzyme or the whatever it is that it targets, but that is what is in meat. And when you eat meat, it makes you really sick, what and a it pisser. it could last for a year or more. You know, what so a, he's in the process of it right now. Shout out to my friend Evan. Yeah, a moment of education for our fellow hunters yeah. out there. Examine the creature you're about out. to gut. Yeah. Yes, check for ticks, man. Check your body for ticks. Because Every if you can day. get those ticks off within the first 24 hours, you generally don't get the Lyme and you don't get um, mm. the uh, alpha-gal. We've the, had well, friends that have become really, really 
borderline paralyzed from tick bites. Oh my God, that Lyme disease will fuck you yeah. up. Uh, Lyme my disease brother is Jeff, his, his young son Patrick, is over in Switzerland or Germany right now getting treated. He's got it so bad, <sighs> and they don't treat it in the same way here in the States. What's they, the difference how they treat it over I, there? I have no idea. Some kind of incubation where they turn up the heat and they give them a fever of 104, 105 for prolonged time under control and try to burn it out of them. Jesus. Oh, it's just horrible. Because generally over here, they just give you like a shitload of antibiotics. Yeah. Yep. If you get the antibiotics, here's a great, here's a tick story for all you tick hunters out there. Because if you're hunting, you're going to run into them. If you're in the outdoors, especially spring turkey hunting, yeah. you're sitting on the grass waiting for a bird to come in. Mm -hmm. You're right there in tick epicenter. Yeah. A friend of ours, brother, two brothers in uh, Jackson County, Michigan, this must have been back in the 70s, they both shot deer during the gun season. And when you gut the deer, you cut down the pelvic. And on the usually on the hams, on that white hair, you can see ticks, especially mm -hmm. here in Texas. Well, they dismissed it because there wasn't much knowledge about that back then. Well, they both found ticks on themselves. And the one brother had another bronchi bronchite bronchial infection so his doctor prescribed hardcore antibiotics to the one brother but the other one didn't get the antibiotics and the other one's in a wheelchair now uh. because it it metastasized and just crippled him yeah my friend's son got um he got bell's palsy and he's yes. only five years old half his face turned paralyzed and it you know was Fucked up for quite a while before yeah. it came back. Yeah. Jimmy, would you do me a favor and look that up? I want to make sure that I'm saying this right. This alpha galactose from whatever the fuck it is. I know it's alpha gal for short. It's from the Lone Star Tick. Lone Star Tick makes yeah. you allergic I to I mean, you have it on the Mayo Clinic site. It doesn't say what alpha gal stands for. It just says alpha gal syndrome. Oh, there it is. Alpha gal syndrome. Alpha gal syndromes recently recently identified type of food allergy to red meat. Other products from mammals. In the United States conditions most often caused by a lone star tick bite. The bite transmit a sugar molecule called alpha gal. I think it's a it's a short shortened version of the real name into the person's body. In some people, this triggers an immune system reaction that later produces a mild to severe mm. rea allergic reaction to red meat, such as beef, pork, or lamb, or other mammal products. Lone Star Tick is found predominantly in the southeastern United States, and most cases of alpha-gal syndrome occur in that region. The, the tick can also be found in the eastern and southern central United States. The condition appears to be spreading further north and west, motherfuckers. However, as deer carry the Lone Star Tick to new parts of the United States. You know what's fucking weird? Have you heard that um, a large percentage of deer are carrying COVID-19? I don't believe it. It's true. I, I just don't. <laughs> Based on what, the CDC? No, no, no. Based on <laughs> they've, they've, these uh, hunters have um, captured or um, taken samples. I think, what, what state was it in that they Wisconsin, found? Wisconsin, a bunch. In Michigan, yeah, they found a bunch. They, they found like more than 50% carried antibodies. Yeah, but how do you measure 50% of the, the deer thing. herd? No, 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 not 50% of the deer herd. 50% of, of the those deer tested? that they tested. But what's interesting is, um, this was on Ronella's podcast, which is very informative, Meat Eater podcast, one of the best hunting podcasts there is. Um, the best. He goes back in time, the, uh, the doctor that was, uh, the scientist that was studying this, and so they had been collecting uh, blood samples on these deer for decades. So they went back a decade ago and there's none. 
And so this is a very recent thing mm. that these deer, and they don't know how, whether it's from the captive cervid industry, you know, people come in contact with these deer, you know, when people farm deer, sure. they, they really don't know. They don't know why and how, but they, that's one of the things that they're saying about these viruses, like this idea of stopping the spread of these virus, there's always going to be animal reservoirs. And it's it's almost impossible to stop a virus entirely and that the best case scenario is the virus eventually mutates to a, a point where it's not nearly as dangerous and they think that that's what happened to the spanish flu and they also think that that's what's happening currently with, with covid that slowly over time it'll mutate to a point where it's not as dangerous and they think that this new one in south africa even though everybody's freaking out about this new strain what's it called what are they called? Omnicom? Omicron. Sounds like one of the Transformers. The, uh, they think that this new <laughs> one, the, all the cases have been extremely mild. Yeah, basically the symptoms of an average cold. Yeah. And they're going nuts about it. Yeah, it's crazy. They're, I've they're, been hearing from all- There's an emergency in, in New York City. They, they declared a state of emergency for what literally is very mild yeah. for all the people that have caught New it York so City far. did that. I'm shocked to hear that they overreacted and they're following the- I think uh, it's the whole state. The narrative uh, in New York, yeah. God I don't know if it's New York State or the city, but I think they're both God wacky. God bless them. The new, the new governor's wacky. Well, here's- The mayor's here, out of his fucking Here's mind. what I think is the most important- element of that story where they're shutting down um, uh, people coming in from Africa. First of all, uh, Biden and his sidekicks immediately attacked Trump for being racist for doing that. And right. now they're doing it. I think that's an interesting observation uh, that is very in indicative. But I hear from a bunch of outfitters, huge gazillion dollar industry, billions yeah. and billions of dollars. Uh, that are generated in South Africa, desperately needed revenues, some of the highest revenues brought into that country, not just South Africa, but whole Southern Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Mozambique, Namibia. And they're all shut down. They're all shut down and all the Safari Club International, Dallas Club Safari, Houston Safari Club, all these conventions that generate billions of dollars Per convention, yeah. these guys can't come and put on their exhibits and can't book hunters. And a lot of people would dismiss it as a uh, inconsequential industry. It's a consequential well, industry. It's, and it's not just that industry. It's also safaris where people want to go and sure. just see wild animals. Sure. And, see, and that's a huge industry as well. Huge. And what's really crazy is this This did not – they don't think it came from Africa. It was found there. They think it was found there. And they've also found it in Brazil. They found it in New Zealand. They found it in a few other places. And they think someone who is a vaccinated traveler, because in order to go there, you got to be vaccinated. They think a vaccinated traveler went there, like from Europe, because to travel from Europe, I believe most most of the countries you have to be vaccinated. They think that that's how it got there. That someone picked it up somewhere else, brought it to South Africa, and then in South Africa, it was identified. Clusterfuck. Who knows? I mean, it might have come from South Africa. It might not have. But yeah. the point is, like, why this to shut down Africa? It seems incredibly cruel. Like, I, I believe you have to give people freedom. You got to give people the opportunity That's to radical. make their own choices. That's and radical. I think, you know, there's ways to test people. It's not hard to test. It's one of the things they did when the people landed. Uh, one of the planes landed from uh, South Africa. I forget where it landed. But they tested 61 people on the flight, tested positive. Um, and then 61 they, of them 61 tested. and then they put those people in hotels to quarantine for where it's over But again very mild symptoms. So this is like a, a huge overreaction 
in so far. We've I mean, seen a whole lot of that. God damn. It's I never would have thought that it would be this easy to get people to not just comply, yeah. but to turn on their fellow Americans. And to t- I mean, not just Americans, all over the country. Australia's probably got it worse than anybody. But one of these hats I gave you says, I will not comply. And it's yeah. got a picture of a beautiful rifle on it. Uh, a buddy of mine came to me and had one of those hats and he asked me to sign it. And a bunch of his buddies said, where can I get one? I'd like one of those signed. So I made a few. And after a couple thousand, we're at like 50,000 of those right now, that people go to tednugent.com and get autographed. I will not comply hats. But it's not just about gun confiscation. It's about arbitrary, punitive, capricious, nonsense-founded decrees from people who don't have the authority to give those decrees. Right. And yeah. that's the they clusterfuck shouldn't. 2020. They never have had it before. They never had the ability to tell you you can't work before, and now they do, and they're using it a lot. And it's not they're not using it in a rational way. And they're not using it with a real understanding of the consequences of what they're doing to these people that have literally had these businesses through their family hmm. for decades and decades. They worked so hard and now it's all gone. It's all gone. And then you look at Florida, Florida made completely different choices and Florida's fine. So it's, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, if you look at overall rationally, like if you look at the state of the country and what, California did versus what Florida did right now. Florida has the lowest numbers of cases per day Florida's economy is booming the real estate economy is booming because people are escaping all these states where you can't do anything And they're going to Florida. We did the first yes in Texas We did the first UFC in Florida in fucking April So the pandemic shut everything down in March. We did a UFC in Florida in April I mean we didn't have a crowd because people were still a little skittish but Florida at least we could go to restaurants you know, you had to wear a mask. Well, I was like, fine, I'll fucking, I'll, whatever. I thought it would last like a couple more months and then we'd be over with. But Florida was the first and they were widely criticized. But now if you look at it, I mean, except for times where these these surges where people love to capitalize on that those moments and say, look, you're killing people, you're killing people. The If you adjust for age, Florida has done as well, if not better than any state in the country when it comes to what happens with this virus. They've shown over time that if you look at how this virus works, and if you look at the response to it, lockdowns don't help. They just don't. Yeah, I've been following that. And they, they definitely don't help these people's lives, and they definitely don't help overdoses. They don't help depression. They don't help people losing, losing businesses yeah. that, again, they've worked for decades for. I, I firmly believe that you have to let people make their own decisions. And once we understand what this is, this is not the black plague. It's not killing 50% of the population. And there's all these remedies that are completely ignored that no one cares about. No one cares about vitamins and vitamin D and the fact that at one point in time they measured, I believe it was 84% of the people in the ICU with COVID had insufficient levels of vitamin D. Sure. And only 4% had sufficient levels. And if you look at the country in general, it's more than 70% of the people are deficient in vitamin D. That's a crazy number. And it's not an expensive thing to get. Vitamin D, if you can get it outside, yeah. it's natural. You just lay in the sun, you get it, which is the best form the of best vitamin way, D. Yeah. That's the free form. Sure. But you can buy it as a supplement. Yep. But meanwhile, you don't. I've never heard that once from these fucking press conferences. You mean Fauci doesn't recommend natural, uh, intelligent, <sighs> taking care of your health no. before you ask for health care? Well, you know what? You could say what that, too. If they want to talk about 
about vaccines and they want to talk about all these other things, say that, say that. But also talk about these other things. Talk about quercetin. Talk about zinc. Talk about ionophores. Talk about how important it is to take care of your health and drink a lot of water and lose weight. There was an article, a peer-reviewed study recently about what is happening with, see if you can find this, with overweight people. That overweight people, one of the things that's happening with uh, COVID and overweight people is that their body is not producing the, um, the antibodies correctly because of the fact that they, their body's so overweight. Sure. There's something happening. There's a process that goes on while you're obese that doesn't go on with a person who's lean. And that this, it's like a significant issue when it comes to your uh, immune system and your immune system's response to COVID. And it's one of the reasons why so many people, at one point in time, 78% of the people in the ICU for COVID were obese. Well, the Nugent family is in mourning this year. We've lost some great friends, and most of them were dramatically overweight. Yeah. Here it is right here. The results of the study show that the majority of COVID-19 patients with obesity make almost indiscernible amounts of neutralizing anti-SARS-CoV-2 antibodies, suggesting that obese individuals may be at a higher risk to respond poorly to COVID-19 infection. But I think overall, before we yeah, even so get into the minutia, uh, I'd like to think that one thing we can accomplish, and you've done so in your podcast, and I salute you and thank you for that, is for people to focus on their lifestyles. Yes. The, what what is everything. Mr. Hand putting in Mr. Grocery Cart, yeah. and can you pronounce the ingredients, right. and is it really something you want your children to eat? It's there everything. is a pandemic of blubber in this mm -hmm. country that is just inexcusable. If it says diet or sugar-free, don't buy it. Yeah. The best thing you can do is go hunting and have a garden. Yeah. <laughs> and, drink water. It's and like, drink a lot of water. It's literally the and best thing the you can do. get the sugar and the carbs mm -hmm. out of yep. your lifestyle. Style. Yep. I mean, my wife, Shemaine, my son, Rocco, my son, all, the whole Nugent family, hardcore, intelligent, caring, conscientious, taking care of sacred temple. That's another term. I think we talked about it on our first podcast together, that when I was growing up, this was known as the sacred temple. Yeah. When I use that term to anybody under 50, they don't have the faintest idea what I'm talking about, just like the term tooth, fang, and claw, that nature isn't cuddly and cute and it's not Bambi. It's savagery. It's it's hardcore blood and guts yeah. and that's beautiful in its own way but people have to start paying attention to what mr hand is putting into mr mouth yep. and here's another one joe the chemical warfare that is intentionally waged upon our families with the air fresheners, the chemicals, the downy fabric softeners. Those the, are bad? The scented. But they smell so good. Wait a minute. They don't smell good. It smells, it smells good. like a French whore on a bad day. Wait a minute. That's some poison shit. Shemaine and I. It smells you, good. If you open. Somebody's brainwashed you. If you. <laughs> if you. Open the door to your house, and we've had this happen where our friends invite us to these beautiful homes, and they open the door to welcome us in. We can smell the fabric softener. We can smell the plug-in heated chemical air fresheners. Yeah. It's, it's just horrible. It can't be good for you. More chemicals is not better than less chemicals. Yeah, I don't think that th those are good for you. Flowers are good for you. Shell flowers, yeah, they flowers. smell I like, good. I like, I like dishes full of dirt. That's what I like. <laughs> Do you wear deodorant? I do wear deodorant. All natural stuff from a, 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 a an organic store. What is all no natural chemicals. deodorant? Does that shit work? Because uh, 
I yeah, mine work. I on. smell. I smell good. Do you? Yeah, give me okay. a good whiff before I'm, you get out of here. I will. I'm gonna hug you. I'm gonna give no, you a I, whiff. I keep all chemicals out of my life. Now, yeah. do let me think what I have that's probably not good. I have this thing called ginger beer that's got some sugar in it. I like that, but not a lot, you know, in moderation. Right. But mostly our life is organic vegetables and fruits and venison. Well, again, like if you get to be your age and you have the amount of energy that you have, you're doing something right, obviously. Clean and sober you know? for 73 years is a good start. That's a good start. That's a yeah. good start. Do you, do, you, do you drink a little wine every now and then? I do drink some good red wine, and yeah. Shemaine chooses and picks my wine because I have no idea. You just don't get blasted. I, I, I drink I, I like it this much. Right. You can still stay sober. And that's sober fine. Everybody at the Thanksgiving dinner table, the Nugents drink beer and wine, and they have a couple of highballs, whatever that is. Um, but I don't. I can't stand the taste of liquor. I like a good sweet wine, but it, a, a couple drinks and yeah. a good cigar around a campfire after yeah. we shot our machine guns. And there are certain procedures that seem to be good for the psyche. Yeah, and the I, I enjoy a good cigar as well. I, I and I like an, a nice glass of wine, but I do like to get drunk occasionally. <laughs> a lot of my friends do too. I, but you know I what? Just, I, make, see, I take countermeasures. But though. see, I can I can accomplish all things getting drunk. Without getting drunk, if you want crazy and stupid and out of control, all I have to do is go crazy, stupid, and out of control. I don't I'm need, sure. I don't need any impetus. I don't need any outside influences. The great Apache chief said, God has already given you everything you need. And I believe that wildness, uninhibitedness, absolute gonzo misbehavior, whatever you need to do is already in here. You just need to know how to unleash it. For example, recently they I do all these interviews. I have a new record coming out called Detroit Muscle, which is, I sent you a bunch. How many that, records have you had? 40 million I've sold, but I think 20 some, 30 albums That's maybe? pretty incredible. Yeah, I started in 67, not when I was 67, God, 1967. Damn. Do you know how many fighters come out to Stranglehold, by the way? Of course I do. Well, what a lick, uh, shall I? Yeah, please do. I mean- There's so many fighters come out to that song, and, because and, like for a jiu-jitsu guy, and that military is the song. guys, military guys going into battle. Look at this shit. Look at this Look shit. Look at your goosebumps. Look Those are real. That. Look at that hair standing Look at up that on end. Shit. It really is After happening. After a thousand years of that shit. A thousand years and you still get fired up. <laughs> what a great lick, though. It's a that, great fucking that song. That all comes from Bo Diddley. When you first get a guitar, when I was like seven years old, of course, who doesn't feel. That is such a natural rhythm. I was just yeah. on the phone with Billy Gibbons, and he said that a, a, a fetus at conception, if that Bo Diddley lick is happening, Start move his little toes. it will dance. <laughs> so my point is, is that this right hand, if I jacked off, I'd pull my dick clean off because Jesus. this right hand. You from, jack off with your left hand? But No, I, I, I never mind. I, I, 
I signed so many autographs on all these hats every day and all these flags, and I play my guitar every day, and I started with the, his god, Bo Diddley. You hear all the conk, jock, jock, Well, what is... That whole mm, and yeah. I learned that not just Bo Diddley, but a guy named Jimmy McCarty. Know the name Jimmy, Jimmy McCarty. Nineteen sixty, my band, the Lourdes, opened up for Billy Lee and the Rivieras, Martha and the Vandellas, and Gene Pitney, who had a hit song called um, "Town Without Pity." This history. So I opened up. I was twelve. Going on 12, my band, The Lures, opened up Billy Lee and the Riviera. You were 12 and you were opening like, up for them? Yeah. I, when I was 14, I opened up for the Supremes what? and the Bo Brummels at Cobo Hall because my band, The Lures, won the Michigan Battle of the Bands because we were bad motherfuckers for white boys, I'm telling 14? you. 14? Yes, it was awesome. So anyhow, going back to Wall Lake Casino, uh, Novi, Michigan, Wall Lake, Michigan. Billy Lee and the Rivieras, it was Billy Levice destroyed 10 tambourines per song. Every song had three forehead vein popping crescendos. Johnny Bonanjic, 15 years old on Ludwig drums, playing it. Nobody played bass drums like that. And there's this kid throttling like some kind of industrial beast. And then Earl Elliott on a Rickenbacker bass through a, uh, an Ampeg B-15. Uh, Joe Kubrick on a Gibson 335 Cherry through a Fender Twin Amp. And this long-legged motherfucker on a Gibson Birdland. And a Fender Twin Reverb. Jimmy McCarty, and they started a song called Jenny Take a Ride. I was already into the Bo Diddley chucka 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 stuff, but when he started Jenny Take a Ride, only I can do this. Only I can replicate what Jimmy did that night, and it went like this. Come on, see, baby, what you have done now. Oh, see, 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 rider. Come on, see, baby, what you have done now. Ah, you made me love you. Nah, 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 you better. Watch this right hand. Where I go? Get the fuck out of here. Do you feel that? Yes, yes. What the fuck yes. kind of music is that? That's amazing music. So I saw this Birdland. Nobody played a Birdland. It's a jazz guitar. It's made for playing things like... is cool great tone huh right mm-hmm. 
great rich bell kind of tone, but the but when Jimmy played it, that fuck wow. So that imprinted Gibson Birdland Fender Twin, Gibson Birdland Fender Twin, right hand Bo Diddley on stair. Holy fuck! So eventually, I had to get a Gibson Birdland, and the way I play comes from the Bo Diddley Chuck Berry, and even Chuck Berry. I mean the whole. Now Chuck didn't play it like that because my right hand was was playing all the counter rhythms. Mm. And so that's where the whole That's Grand Fever. The whole ka 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 ka. The new record's got a song called Detroit Muscle. I don't write songs, I ejaculate them. I just pick up my guitar and go. The whole ka 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 It's just made me play. So Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Little Richard, Jimmy McCarty, Billy Lee and the Rivieres, by the way, changed their name years later to Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. I talked to Mitch on Thanksgiving. I still keep in touch with these fucking guys 60 years later. Wow. So the new record is the continuation of, you use the word primal. Primal is my life, whether it's with a sharp stick or a guitar or a chainsaw. Primal is pure, and I think that feel to table is a return to primal. I think you discovering that you can either go vegan or a hunter, you made the primal decision. I think primal is the answer to every problem mankind has subjected themselves to. Getting back to tooth, fang, and claw, the earth, accountability, your step. Did the step that you take benefit the world? Or did it harm the world, both literally and figuratively? So that's how I've conducted my life. And the new record, it's just, it's just fucking orgy of killer songs. And my drummer, Jason Hartless, and bass player, Greg Smith, are what every guitar player dreams to have at their side. The best musicians you've ever heard. That's awesome. You know, I don't play music. I don't have any musical talent. I've never studied it. But I'm always fascinated by the fact that, especially with guitar, that I can hear a few licks and I'm pretty sure I could guess who's playing. Sure. You know, like Gary Clark Jr., for example. Sure. He, he has a very specific Here's his sound. tone. Here's his tone here. got that yeah. deep bass bass tone yeah you know steve Bluesy. ray vaughn obviously but Jimi hendrix particularly get out of here you know i mean that that guy he was he the first that really had his own like legitimate distinctive sound
Did fuck? you ever work with him? I jammed with Jimmy. Wow. I was in a little room with him. Wow. It's unnatural. I've, yeah, he was the guy that took what Chuck invented. Chuck had the distortion. He played a Gibson 335. He played a Birdland on his first record. It was a, it was the prototype Birdland, 1955, I think. Um, but he got a little bit more distorted than the typical country, you know. Right. You know that. Yeah. But he took it to like voodoo child sounds. Yeah. And then Jimmy, of course, just turned everything. I I was invited. Fuck. Steve Steve Paul had a club in New York called The Scene, Steve Paul's Scene. Everybody jammed, jammed with Johnny Winter and Edgar Winter and Rick Derringer and Jimmy McCarty and Jimi Hendrix and and just every Steve, Steve Winwood. We'd just go there and we'd just jam at 3 or 4 in the morning. And I was invited by Stephen Green. I hope I got all this right. At a, he was going to start a club, and it was going to be the debut of a new band called um, Sly and the Family Stone, their first East Coast performance. And the Amboy Dukes were in New York City recording Journey to the Center of the Mine. Great song. That's that right hand again. just this young kid playing all these illegal notes and so we were invited down because there's going to be a slide in the family stone debut and we were on uh, mainstream records i don't know how they invited us but my journey to this turn of the mind solo was really quite outrageous for back then because it was so melodic but it was you know feeding back and find the pleasures of a journey to the center of the mind. Come along if you can. Just a great song for a bunch of kids. So we're invited, and we're in there, and I, they told me to bring my Birdland, because I was the only guy to play to Birdland. What's the difference? Well, it's hollow body, it's hand-carved arch top made of North American spruce, so it has a, even without an amplifier, it's got the... If you don't want to indulge me, like when when like Robert Johnson was playing, what was he playing? He well, he, he, Robert Johnson started with an acoustic guitar, and they played such a nasty, noisy. You know. You know, I try to. You can uh, hear more string than electronics. When I listen to his music, you know, because uh, there's, you know, it was always a, the legend of him selling his primal. soul. Yeah, so primal. Yes. But also, um, really new, right? There wasn't a lot of that music around before him. Well, that's with 
you know, let's talk. I'll tell you why. I'm here to help. So you want emotional, sincere, beckoning, defiant, raw, primal. Yeah. You're going to have to get it from a guy who was enslaved because his spirit has been shackled and his pain is unprecedented. They were controlled by other men, which is so obscene, so wrong. They knew it was wrong, but they couldn't break free. So when they sang, it was the ultimate heartbreak, anger, fear, yet craving to be free. And so you hear it in their, in their angst and the, the pulse of their lyrics and the, the, the dirt, literally and figurative. They just come out of the cotton fields and they're going to play music of what they're feeling. So it was so sincere, so definitively authoritative from a painful position, blues, gospel, and then the Emancipation Proclamation, I give you little Richard. <laughs> You're talking right. about a defiant motherfucker. Bursts out of yeah, that. Yeah, explosion. You, yeah. you can't manufacture that. It has to come from the guts. It has to come from the horror of slavery to the unprecedented explosion of freedom. And I'm going to sing about fucking your daughter long tall sally and i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna wear a pompadour and i'm gonna put a mascara on it yeah fuck you motherfucker yeah beautiful yeah. and chuck berry look I mean, at him I mean, man. get out look of at here little my hero my god he was amazing long tall sally is he still alive is he still alive no is he still i i think so I think he's alive. I think he's alive. I, I want him to be alive. I want him to be alive. So anyhow, so that music no, touching. Oh, 2020, man. He died last year. Motherfucker. So that, yeah. I, I didn't I, hear a peep out of that. Yeah. He died last year? May so, 9th. Wow. My favorite is Tutti Fruity. Used to yeah, be called Tutti Fruity Good Booty. Yeah. And they made him change it. And he, <laughs> he made hit records out of Fuck You White Man. <laughs> I don't want a bad. So my point is, you can't manufacture it. You can't design that. There's no right. formula for that. You just got to come from your your soul. And the you know it's it's the the horrible truth of that kind of art is that it comes from that pain and that you can't create it anywhere else. And it's almost like that's the only benefit of that pain is that it produces this spectacular art. And you had to let it out some way. Yeah. And the music did that. And like then, you don't get that from a good childhood, right? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, there's I probably some... I don't think you get that. You probably get something great. You can get something great, but you won't get that great. I th that, it's a no, different not, kind of great, Not right? that authentic. Right. Not that raw. Um, there's a believability factor to that black influence i had a tour years ago called black power because every night on stage since the 50s i've meant i've celebrated and thanked chuck berry and bo Diddley and little richard and james brown and wilson pickett and the motown funk brothers i mean there is no music that means anything that wasn't inspired by a black guy name me music that right. that moves you that doesn't have a black history like how much of an impact did hendrix have on guitar players in this country when Huge. he came around well, what was it like because you were there and you said you you jammed with him but what you know i'm a giant hendrix fan monster 
when I was a kid, I remember hearing Voodoo Child for the first time, just thinking like, how is this guy doing that? Like, yeah. how is he making Especially those Especially left-handed upside down. <laughs> well, <sighs> geez, there's so much I could tell you. So, yes, when Les Paul electrified it about four, 1945, before that it was a background strumming instrument, um, folk music and background. So it was 45 is when it changed. 1945 is when Les Paul electrified it, and all of a sudden it had this this fiery sound, this electric sound. When did they first start recording? Like when, what was the first? Me or him? No, anyone. Well, like what was the first? Les Paul like... also invented a lot of the recording procedures. I mean, the double tracking, the multi-tracking, the echo stuff. Because I think we, we've gone over this before. We tried to figure it out. There's like a really, really old recording of someone singing and it sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> but um, there, there, I mean, I want to say it was the 1700s. Was that what, somewhere around that? Seriously. Thing? Think so. What they record on the Pathways leads or 1860. something? 1860. Okay, so 1860 was the first recording, and so wasn't even a hundred years later. You have Hendrix, or a hundred years later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, musicians. Hundred plus, actually, right? We're a, we're a crazy bunch, and you want to talk about the ultimate application of critical thinking? Take take the foundation of electric guitar, honky tonk. Actually, it's in the key of F, but... Well, okay. Let's spend the night together. Now I need you more. That's all honky-tonk. That's all honky tonk. I saw it. the Stones last week. Great. Fuck. What about Mick Jagger? What species? Fuck. What species is that? Seventy-eight years I old, know it. dancing around, singing. That's all I need to know. People amazing. go. People go. How long are you going to be doing this? Mick Jagger will let us know. He's <laughs> <laughs> a bad He's motherfucker. Fucking still so. They put on an hour and a half show <laughs> at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin. So it's this enormous racetrack, and they have a huge amphitheater out there. It's an incredible place, the Circuit of the Americas, and they have these fucking gigantic screens. And when he was on stage, I swear to God, I felt like I was in a dream. I didn't, it didn't feel real Skinny to watch him huh? to watch him dance around and fucking singing. You know they had to take brown sugar out of their playlist. I see. Isn't that's that crazy? That's so wrong. That's so wrong. You're not allowed to celebrate black girls now? Right. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? And the girl who is the, the inspiration for that song was hugely upset by it. She was I like, it's an amazing so. So part of So was Aunt Jemima when she was banned from the show. I don't for think the... Aunt Jemima's a real person. But, this, but Brown but Sugar is a great the fucking same song, man. No one's protesting that song. They just didn't want to deal with it. It's like the, the woke anti-racism stuff. That because the Stones were a defiant bunch, and yeah. I'd like to think that they would retain that. But I think they just don't want any hate at this. I mean, they're in the finish line, right? Yeah. They're at the home stretch. Yeah. And, but goddamn, the show was good. When they I'll played bet. Kimmy Shelter, holy Monster. fuck. Holy fuck. It was incredible. Yeah. Keith Richards can fucking still wail. He's a, he's a wail. guy, man. He, I spent two nights with Keith Oof. Richards at Studio 54 in New York City in 1978. Because wow. I'm, I'm militantly anti-substance abuse, and he's militantly pro-substance abuse. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> we had such a good time together. Oh, it was man. just funny because he was a hero of mine. I mean, all my songs came from Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Bo Diddley. But remember the first Stones album, the British Invasion Stones mm-hmm. album, Beatles, Kinks, the Yardbirds, they all had Bo Diddley, Chuck Berry, and Motown songs mm. because that's what I was raised on. So I was playing that music before the British Invasion. Wow. And so when the British guys did it, and they did it such a good job because they so revered those artists, and they 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 presented the Chuck Berry songs. Oh, Carol! I mean, just Keith Richards. Let's see. Oh, Carol, don't dance to your heart away. Well, I got to learn to dance if it takes me all night and day. Well, come into my machine so we can cruise on out. What mm. Keith Richards did to the Chuck Berry songs was so respectful, but I don't know, not more youthful. You can't be more youthful than Chuck Berry, but just something different. about their delivery. Just put a different spin on it. Yeah, with, with Jagger's over-exaggerated, bluesy vocal approach God. and all those great players. But that was so influential. So take that influence, which was a bombardment, unprecedented, and then take it all the way to Jimi Hendrix, and then the next chapter of guitar sucker-punching was Eddie Van Halen. Mm. So, and I, I've got to jam with all these guys. I got to jam, you name the best guitarists, I've jammed with all of them. And to sit there, you, you don't sit there, you kind of dance there, and you're paying attention to what they express and how they how they unleash these note volleys and, and phrases and musical authority. It, 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 it settles in your psyche. It settles in your soul. And it's like an arsenal of licks that you can do in your own way, but you're not afraid to do it the way they did it. And if you have a certain touch of your own, then it comes off as your signature style. That's what's always so fascinating to me is that out of all the notes that have been played, all the songs that have been written and sang and, and recorded, that there's still new ways to make a guitar well. you see this landscape? Yes. It looks... It looks restrictive, doesn't it? Right. It looks like it's only that long. Right. It's only and that two many feet frets. Long. Lewis and Clark wouldn't know where to send Sacagawea on my guitar <laughs> neck. I got a song in the new record called Driving Blind that goes. I was minding my own business, kind of caught off guard. I wrote the book on sexual healing, I swear to God. Well, I think I found the answer to get me peace of mind. Don't flirt with disaster. And don't get caught driving blind. Uh, you know, it's a got a groove. It yeah. sounds like something you've heard before, but you never have. Where does Clapton fit into it for you? Monster. Monster. I mean, the whole... I mean, I can do...
That whole, Can you do Layla? I, I don't know Layla. Damn. But, but he's, he's a, 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 yeah, the beast. I mean, Billy yeah. Gibbons, the beast. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. now Joe Bonamassa, a beast. Um, who's Joe, Bonam- Joe Perry? Who's, who's Joe Bonamassa? Joe Bonamassa is a super duper blues guitar player that played Albert Hall and got Eric Clapton to join him on stage. Uh. Look into Joe Bonamassa. He's got he's on tour all the time. He's a great guitar player. Um, he's he's no Hendrix and he's no Billy Gibbons. Even my guitar player, Derek St. Holmes, for years, is one of the greatest guitar players in the world. And you won't hear his name mentioned, but he's better than most. So there's Ricky Medlock with Leonard Skinner, my guitar player in the damn Yankees, Tommy Shaw. These are unbelievable musical forces, just genius, soulful, grinding, authoritative guitar statements. But you won't hear their name because there's so many of them out there. There is so many, and there's more coming every day. There's yep. kids listening to this right now, just yeah. picking up a guitar for the yep. first time. Yeah, well, learn Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry if you can't go. And if you can't go. And if you really want to go someplace, try to do. <laughs> great lick i love that's playing that lick great fucking lick that's a great fucking lick. that's a great that's in my workout playlist here i come again now baby like a dog in heat yeah. you can tell us me by the clamor motherfucker i'd like to tear up the street i've been smoking for so long you know i'm here to stay i got you in a stranglehold bitch get the fuck out of my way what a it's love a great, song it's a great song the it's road i song. cruise is a bitch now you know you can't turn me around if a house gets in my way i'll burn the motherfucker down remember the night that you left me you put me in my place got you in a stranglehold motherfucker and i crushed your fucking face fuck you whoa it's a love song um <laughs> you feel the love i don't but i get it <laughs> it's about standing up for it. what you believe yeah. here's a great story you're not going to believe this so i signed with epic records 1974 tom worman god bless him tony reality the engineer Derek st holmes monster forest rob grange on bass unbelievable cliff davies god rest his soul on drums i got this rock and roll band from hell we're playing all over the country 300 nights a year cultivating this musical relationship with music lovers that love the dynamic and the crescendos and the experimental and the outrageous uncharted territory musical mayhem but mostly the intensity of a detroit piss and vinegar band which i define and so they signed me because they liked the songs you got stranglehold and stormtrooping just great licks great song motor city madhouse just all these great songs derek's got this ungodly voice so we get in the studio and we're setting up equipment and they had heard stranglehold but they called a meeting and i didn't know why they called a meeting but the production company the the engineer the management company the band um the producer uh the all the, all the record company a and r artist relations all had want to have a meeting i go all right maybe we should have a meeting before we start recording to make sure it's like a team energy thing like a pre-fight gathering right and uh they get in the bottom line of the meeting was about they all voted that Stranglehold shouldn't be on the record because it doesn't have a chorus. Oh, my God. Could you imagine if you listen to them? <laughs> I, I'm in the room, and it's like an intervention. Oh. oh, my God. And they're trying to tell me that I got to stop oh taking my this drug. God. And I'm listening to all their things. It doesn't have a chorus. So who gives a shoe? Who says this? How to have a f- but nobody likes long guitar jams anymore. I go, oh, my I God. I do. 
How is that possible? So I said, this I, is seventy four. So I said, are you guys done? What year was Freebird? Yeah, uh, that that next year maybe. How the fuck did they get that so wrong? <laughs> They're in New York City. <laughs> That's so dumb. And they're monitoring hit records. Oh, God, I hate that shit. That shit drives me so crazy. So there was a moment where those lyrics to that song, Stranglehold, came to fruition in a meeting where they all voted that it shouldn't be recorded because it's a long jam. Nobody likes long jams, and there's no chorus. And I said, if we play this every night, I've been unleashing this song the people go nuts every night i'm going with the people's vote yeah. not only that but even if the people didn't like it it's my statement this is i believe in this song let's shut the fuck up That's let's record song, it if you hear it for one time how the fuck can you not love it that, how the that fuck is, you not love it such a classic <laughs> it's a monster it's such a classic the, the <laughs> fact that they wanted to take that off the, imagine if you listen to them oh my god i mean between Cat Scratch Fever and that, like, what is your biggest hit? Well, I don't think there were any. Everybody was a hit. Because, I mean, there, Derek wrote the song "Hey Baby" on the first record. But I mean, as far as like songs that well, are identified as a Ted Nugent song throughout the history well, of music, they've wrote "Strangleholds" right up there, right up there at the top. Probably between there's a song called "Fred Bear." Yes, that, amongst hunters, that's yes, a big uh, one. He's got that pound thing going. That might there be the... I was back in the wild again. And I felt right at home where I belong. I had that feeling coming over me again. It's just like it happened so many times before. So many times. Fuck, I got to tell you, Joe, I got a call this morning. When that song happened after Fred died, I've always been surrounded by the best musicians on the planet. They're dedicated to their craft. They have a work ethic. They're smart asses. They're adventurous. They're critical thinkers. They're gifted. Michael Lutz on bass, the author of Smoking in the Boys' Room for Brownsville Station. Gunnar Ross, a drummer from Detroit of just super thunder. And when I played that song, I cried through the whole thing. I, I was completely out of control because Fred had died and my mom had died. And that, that pattern had a life of its own. I didn't play it. I facilitated it. But Michael and Gunner immediately grasped my emotion for Fred and what the song meant. And what you hear on the, the song that the Navy SEALs play when they come home with flag-draped coffins and people bury their children or have an anniversary. The song, I, every day I get people testifying what the song Fred Bear means to them, just so emotional, so powerful. Well, this morning, Gunnar Ross died, my drummer on Fred Bear, 67 years old, and he died this morning. And that moment when he embraced my pain and love for Fred, the pain of the loss, just a smart-ass Detroit drummer monster, 
but my people, they, they, they own the spirit of every song that we play. They become one with it. And Gunner did that day, and it was take one. I played it for him, and then we pushed the record button at Pearl Sound in Canton, Michigan. And Gunner and Michael loved Fred. They, they didn't know who Fred was, but they knew what it meant to me, and they, they put their heart and soul into that performance, and Gunner just died this morning at 67. Will you tell everybody who Fred Bear was? Because there's a lot of people listening to this that don't have any idea who that guy is. Fred Bear was a, is a, the essence of American entrepreneurial man in the arena in the swirling dust of the Industrial Revolution, born in Pennsylvania in 1906 or thereabouts, and uh, was a hunter, farmer, trapper, um, you know, lived on the land, <clears throat> and he moved to Detroit during the Industrial Revolution to be a wood carver for the Fomoco Ford Motor Company, making cabinets for the radios and the dashboards and the woodies, the vehicles. And uh, he had become so proficient with the 30-30 that he was looking for more of a challenge. If, if he saw a deer with his 30-30, he'd kill it. He learned stealth. You give within 100 yards with an open sight rifle, you should be able to kill it. And he, that's great. That's how you get venison. But he's looking for something else. So he started making his own bows in the 1920s. And a couple buddies, uh, Nels Grumley. I can't believe I remember all this shit. Nell, that was his name. Nels Grumley was his boyer. It takes a real art craftsmanship to make a, a bow from a stave and pick the right grain and the right hickory or the yew or the osage orange and pick the right tree and know that that core is going to make a good bow and then know what the the resistance and the flexibility of those wood limbs will produce uh what they call cast how it would cast an arrow it's quite an art form and so Fred Bear and Nels Grumley had a little shop in Detroit, and when they weren't making cabinets for their business, the FOMOCO and the, the radio industry, he was making his own bows, he and Nels. And he was catching on a little bit, but then up in Oroville, California, I think 1908 maybe, they found an Indian cowering in a corral, and they determined that this was from the Yanni Y-A-N-I, the Yanni Indian tribe. And back then, if you killed one of them, you get 25 bucks. What, what year was this? Yeah. Northern, what year was this? Northern California, 1908, maybe. You could get $25 if you killed an Indian yeah. in 1908? Yeah. Jesus. Jesus. Maybe <sighs> they should have wrote some blues songs. Holy anyhow. shit. Well, so did. anyhow, so right. instead of killing this guy, they determined that his name was Ishii. And they wanted to study him. He's the last, the last survivor of the Yanni tribe, Northern California, Oroville. Just heard a story in Oroville, California this morning on the radio. And I said to Rocco and Shemaine, I go, that's where they found Ishii. Um, so this guy Ishii, his whole life was based on the bow and arrow, getting close to game, taking a freezing river bath before the hunt to deserve an encounter with the beast that would provide life, food, clothing, shelter, tools, medicine, weapons, spirit, deep into the spiritual realm. And so 
the, the sheriff department put him in a jail and they said, well, let's call some anthropologist or one of these scientist guys. And so they called a guy named Saxton Pope. Um, of from, Pope and Young? Yeah, this Saxton Pope. So Saxton Pope came down and tried to figure out what tribe and, and language and started communicating with Ishii. And then he called his buddy Art Young who was also a professor, I believe. I might, I'm probably getting some of the details a little misconstrued here, but this was the proceedings that took place. And so they were so fascinated, they took Ishii out into his native lands in Northern California, and he showed them how their life pivoted on effective bow hunting. And so Saxon and Pope became fascinated, how could you not, as their world was developing better ballistics for longer range killing, um, Pope and Young went, yeah, this is fascinating, trying to get close to that Columbia blacktail with a sharp stick. I got to try that shit. Because there was already this, uh, this maniac movement of sophistication, so they called it, away from the land and to be more citified and more educated and have other people kill your shit for you. Um, but they discovered there was something powerful about Ishii. Well, Ishii eventually died from white man's <laughs> germs, as, the, as so many did. But Saxon Pope became dedicated to the bow hunting lifestyle. And they went on to go bow hunting in Yosemite and Yellowstone, went to Africa and hunted and filmed it all. And so, meanwhile, Fred Bear and Howard Hill in California and Ben Pearson down in Arkansas were fancying bow hunting as a little sideline fun thing. Well, back then, the only vehicle of promotion for any given entity or endeavor were newsreels. And they don't go to the theater and play a newsreel on a trip to the Arctic in a boat or how to build a canoe. Well, Saxon Pope and Art Young created newsreels about this fascinating rediscovery of the mystical flight of the arrow and how to kill game with it. Real primitive, real Port Orford cedar shafts that they'd have to heat up to straighten out by the eye, how to cut. Uh, turkey feathers to fletch with a helical to steer the arrow. This is all. What were they using for broadheads? Back then, they made their own out of just raw stock steel. Eventually, Fred Bear made his own, the Razorhead, which became most popular. And in Michigan, there was one called the MA3 and the MA2 and the Bodkin, all of which I still own. Um, so. Fred Bear saw that there was a newsreel coming to the Detroit Theater in downtown Detroit. This is 30s. And this is fascinating. It is fascinating. And see, I got this right from Fred. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wallow, bask in the glow. And so Fred said, well, these guys got a newsreel hunting with the bow and arrow. Let's go check this out. So, is that, Can you watch that anywhere? I, I think so. Hunting with the bow and arrow. Yes. And what Saxon years? Pope Art Young. What year 30s, is it 1930s. Jamie's going to find it. And the, and the book they wrote, Hunting with the Bow and Arrow, they both wrote that. Anyhow, so I'm not even born yet. Les Paul hasn't even electrified the guitar yet. Wow. But my dad came back from World War II, and Fred Bear already had enough influence in Michigan that my dad became a bow hunter, and I still have his bow from 1945. So Fred Bear, from working for the Ford Motor Company and, and then starting becoming a bow hunter, had influenced so many people that 
young men in that area were taking up bow hunting for the first time. Yes. Wow. My dad was and, one of them. And there was was bow hunting anything was were, was anybody bow hunting in the country other than that, or was it extremely rare? Uh, let me see if I remember the name. Roy Case. How do I remember these names? Roy Case in Wisconsin, Fred Bear in Michigan, George Nichols in Michigan, owner of Jackson Archery, who Fred contracted to build Fred's arrows because Fred was experimenting with the lamination invention of laminating thin sheets of fiberglass to thin sheets of woods to build up that beautiful recurve, you've seen mm. artwork, yeah. and it increased the cast. That's how they identified the delivery of an arrow. It was the cast, how well a bow of certain wood would cast an arrow. Did they weigh their arrows back then? They did. Typically 600 grain Port Orford cedar with 140 grain or even heavier bodkins, I think were 180 grains. MA2s, MA3s were 150s. Um, and how'd they keep their arrows within that range, especially um, with, with the wood? I would imagine it varies quite select. a bit, Select. Right? That's why they used Port Orford cedar, because mm -hmm. it was controllable. And it had a, a grain conducive to straightness, oh. even though effort had to be applied to perfectly straighten them, though never perfect. So anyhow, so Fred now, he's so enamored, he saw the Pope and Young video and he goes, holy shit. The hell with FOMOCO, man. Let's build bows and arrows. So he moved from Detroit to Grayling, Michigan, up in the middle of the state, up in the North Country, where the only deer were. There were no deer south of Clare. All the deer were north. Because after they cut down every tree in Michigan, except for the Hartwick Pines, um, land of the Kirtland's warbler, I got all this, I register all this information. Um, so... After the denuding of the Michigan forests, I mean, white pines as big around as this room, Joe. You see their stumps today, and these guys cut the entire state down with handsaws. But shockingly, not so much if you know a little bit about botany, what does that do? Let's the sunlight hit the ground, and the habitat exploded to such supportability, such sustainability for wildlife that animals can only use what they can reach. And now this explosion of low growth provided sanctuary, shelter, thermal cover during the severe Michigan winters and escape. And so the deer herd exploded in the 1950s. Mm. So Fred's up there. So now I'm born in 48. My dad's already a bow hunter, and every kid in Detroit, every kid in America was fascinated with a bow and arrow. I live right next to the Rouge River. I was in Detroit, but right next to the Rouge River, all industry came by waterways for transportation of goods. And so I, even I didn't know who Fred Bear was. I just knew that my dad would shoot his bow, and every kid got a little kid's bow. And I probably shot stuffed animals with, you know, suction cup arrows in the living room by the time I was two. And according to my parents, I was a high-energy maniac, borderline dangerous. But I always shot my bow and arrow. So by the time I'm four or five, we're going north every year in the Ford Country Squire station wagon with our bows and arrows. And we'd stop in this town called Grayling and go to this little cinder block shack that said bear archery over the front. I still didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I loved bows and arrows. But in this little shack in Grayling, Michigan, 
were lots of bows and arrows. And this tall, lanky guy named Fred Bear, who my dad would bullshit with, we'd go to the Grayling restaurant and have chocolate milk and cherry pie. And by the time I was seven or eight, it registered. Holy, this is the guy in the cover of True Magazine with a polar bear. This is the guy on American Sportsman, eventually, with Kurt Gowdy shooting moose and caribou and hunting with the Maharaji and shooting chittle deer and, and, and Nilgai on the, 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 the estate of the Indian ruler. And I'm fascinated. So now this is my Chuck Berry of bow hunting. Mm. I was already gung-ho guitar, gung-ho bows and arrows. We all got Daisy Red Rider BB guns. We all made our own slingshots. I started out with bows and arrows I made myself out of reeds and saplings along the Rouge River. So just a natural inclination. Projectiles, they've always fascinated mankind. How can you control the projectile? How good of a marksman can you be? I was put in charge of sparrow control with my Daisy Red Rider BB gun in my garage because the sparrows were shitting on the, the the country squire station wagon window so i would kill the sparrows in the garage so i was deep into shooting and so i met this fred bear guy and eventually i realized that's fred fucking bear well he was funny kind big tall six foot six something lanky and just a natural killer it's a natural stealthy sneaky bow hunter real slow talking not to be confused with me and real easy going, which makes for a great bow hunter. Which John, what's John's name that you? Dudley? Yes. That's a perfect example of a dangerous bow hunter. Because old John is uh, just so unnaturally um, relaxed. That... <laughs> <laughs> right? Am I right? He's very relaxed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, I'm not. He's so calm. I have to turn the corner before I go bow hunting. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyhow, so Fred Bear invited me into his life. And from this little shack, my dad was transferred. Every year, I couldn't wait to stop in Grayley and meet old Fred. Every year, we'd stop there, and most years, he was there for the opening October 1st Michigan bow season, which is why Michigan is the number one bow hunting state in, in America to this day because of Fred Bear's influence. So I fell in love with Fred Bear as a mentor, as a hero, and he welcomed me into his life wholeheartedly, even though he told me that his buddies, I don't know about this rock and roll guy, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't know if, if you want to associate with Nugent. But you were then, a long-haired fellow back Long-haired, hippie-looking dirt dog. Um, <laughs> but his buddies, Fred told me, he says, no, my buddies said, no, no. Nugent, I heard him on the radio. All he does is promote clean and sober. All he does is promote the mystical flight of the arrow and being one with your projectile management. And this guy's high energy and is getting bow hunting promotion to people who will never hear of you. And Fred Bear actually said every sporting event he went to, everybody under 40 always asked him, do you know Ted Nugent? Because I'd shoot my bow on stage every concert with the Amboy Dukes. I'd always promote hunting. Every interview was supposed to be about a new record. I'd promote my weekend with my mom and dad hunting with a bow and arrow. So I was constantly countering the animal rights lie by promoting conservation, especially the discipline of archery. And so Fred embraced me. Long story short, and I could keep you here for 100 days. In 1987, I did my annual hunt with Fred. I'd go every, every year up to a place called Grouse Haven up in Rose City, Michigan, the gateway to the North Country. And we'd be around the campfire and around the fireplace with um, just all the old guys, uh, 
Bob Munger, who we went to Africa with so many times, and all his buddies, and I'd just sit around the campfire just sponging the stories from these guys because they were pioneers of the new bow hunting challenge versus what Roy Weatherby was developing. You kill a deer at four or five, six hundred thousand yards, which is a discipline unto itself. That's marksmanship if you dedicate yourself. But bow hunters were looking for something more challenging, more difficult, and more spiritual in understanding your relationship with the animal that the Native Americans always proclaimed, rightly so, that if you dedicate yourself to conscientious, stealth, reasoning predator, that the great spirit will provide a shot at the game, which means if you dedicate yourself, you can earn that shot. Powerful lesson in the industrial explosion to go back to a primal scream. Yeah. So then in, in, in April of 88, after our last hunt in 87, and Fred, I didn't even go hunting. I just stayed with Fred because he was on an oxygen tank. He carried it around. I just hung out with Fred, very emotional, because he was so powerful in all of our lives. He's just a huge force. And he told me to keep doing what I do, promoting hunting in a rock and roll way, because it got the word out to people who would never hear it at the SHOT Show. Right. Um, and then that next April, he died. And... I, it was a, a, a force wave of heartbreak. Just, he meant so much to so many people. And so one morning I was going out to do my chores, like I do every morning, but instead I stopped and I came in the house and that song happened. Wow. Wow. And I called my guys, Gunnar Ross, who died today, and I said, Mike, get a studio. Something's happening. And my guys know how serious I am. He goes, it's not like he's, well, what's happening, man? He said, okay, hang on, I'll get a studio. So we got in a studio and recorded that song. And it, it's, it's so powerful in people's lives. Did you find that uh, Pope and Young video? <clears throat> this is the best I could find. I don't know. Let's see it. 1926 Grizzly yeah, this is, how'd you do that? This is wow, awesome. 1926 Grizzly Bear. <laughs> you got to be kidding Can't be me. sound on it, but. Watch him. There he is. Look at his hat. That's Saxton Pope right there, I think. A gentleman's hat. Look at the quiver tucked under his armpit. Mm -hmm. By the way, what kind of balls do you have to hunt a fucking bear with a recurve in the 1920s? And look at those bears getting up to try to find out what the hell he is. Watch him. He missed <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> the, bear, the bear's like, we're getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> there he got him with the second arrow. Wow. Look how long the arrows are. Yeah, you got to have a titan. You got to have T-Rex scrotum to take that shit on. Yeah, I mean, look at the boots. Look at the clothes. 1920s. I mean, is that awesome? Is, There's a big close-up on the area. It's crazy. That was even before me, Joe. This is wild that they were interested in doing that. They were interested in... Bow hunting. Look at the fucking arrow. Yep. Wow, that is wild. That's wild. Yep. 1926. See if you can find any Fred Bear footage. There's oh, a lot, there's a there's lot, a of, lot that. of that on there. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that on there. See if you can find uh, Fred Bear hunting moose. I've seen that video. <laughs> so yeah. I've been in the. I I got to play bass for Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. Mm -hmm. I got to bow hunt with Fred Bear. 
That's pretty awesome. I went around the Indy track in a Roush Mustang with Parnelli Jones at the wheel. I was trained on off-road racing by Mickey Thompson and Roger Mears. There he is. And Ivan Ironman. There's Fred. I like how he's putting stuff on his face. He's sure. camouflaging his face yep. with his flannel shirt on. <laughs> he's got sticks in his hat, the, the old school hat. Do you ever hunt with a hat like that? I, I have not. I have put debris. Like, I have put vegetation in my hat, emulating old Fred. Though. So he's got a. It, it seems like he's got a camo. Uh, that's a stag, huh? Or a caribou? He's. Uh, it seems like he's got a. Um, uh, some kind of camo on, right? No, that's just a Pendleton. That's just a Pendleton plaid shirt, which is. <laughs> but he put something on over the plaid shirt. Well, there, there, when, there, when we started, okay, that is just a plaid shirt. When we started, there was no camo. You wore military camo, and then eventually mossy oak. Now I, I wear mossy oak, and there's all kinds of camo out Were there. Were they the first guys to come out with camo for hunters? Um, I think uh, uh, Grumley. Uh, uh, See, is that not camo he's wearing? Because look at his pants. Pant looks like uh, woodland camo. Yeah. yeah, there's some camo. So he had some kind of camo on back then. This is probably in the 50s. Though. Yeah, and look at this. He's got a quiver mounted to the side of his bow, too. He, was that one of the first that. ones? Oh, he, he invented, invented that. that. That's his and invention. Is bear archery, is that f from him? Yeah, that's he started, yeah. Wow. And let, let, me, let me emphasize look this to all your listeners. All of Joe Rogan's listeners, please take heed. If you want to find the beast of your spirit... And when I say beast, I mean the best of the best of you. Get a bow and arrow. Find a bow that is comfortable and graceful. Even if it's in your living room at 10 feet with the proper backstop, and so I train my children, do not underestimate the power of spiritual growth available just by getting Mr. Left Hand to be one with Mr. Right Hand as guided by the oneness of Mr. Brain and Mr. Eyeball and see if you can put the arrow of your life in the spot of your desires. I swear to God, Joe, I don't care if you're a cop or a teacher or a butcher or a mechanic or a plumber or a carpenter or a radio dude, I don't care what you do in life, whatever point you're at today, within a few days of really discovering your arrow control, whatever you pursue, you will be better at incrementally as you become one with the mystical flight of your arrow, especially yeah. young people. I think it's uh, it's an amazing form of meditation because it's meditation so difficult to, to fit. Do. I can't find yeah. a better one. Yeah, it's so difficult to do that, and it, you don't have to even hunt; just shoot at a target. Yes, find a bullseye. Find it's, the bullseye yeah. of your life. It really is. <laughs> but you should hunt. <laughs> you should hunt. It's so difficult, and, and people don't realize how difficult it is to have perfect form in archery and how to execute a perfect shot. Especially and, in the field under hunting oh, yeah. conditions because yeah. form goes to shit. Yeah. It's not the Olympic range, but you have to discover how you can control, manipulate, manage that form in an awkward field position so that from the waist to the face, from your waist to the face, you can control your form no matter how awkward the position may be. And that's the trick to consistent accuracy with a bow and arrow. And it doesn't matter whether it's a compound or a long bow or an old recurve bow. To, to become 
consistently efficient with an old-fashioned long or recurve bow is one of the most joyous, fulfilling, gratifying accomplishments in life because it's a bitch. Yeah, it's a lot harder, right, with a, a recurve or a long bow, any kind of traditional archery yeah. bow. A yeah. lot harder to be more accurate, but it's also... There's something about the satisfaction of being accurate that's even more accentuated, right? Sure. It, it is accentuated, no doubt yeah. about it. And I'm not dismissing. I shoot a compound 99% of the time. I shoot a Matthews that's lightweight, 50 pounds. It's graceful. It feels like a recurve because I'm at full draw under uh, you know, a, a graceful conditions. And I know that Cameron and you shoot heavy bows because you're strong, but archery has to be graceful, you have to be able, you can't, it's not weightlifting, it's stealth and grace. You need to find a bow that is easy to draw, easy to come to full draw and make sure that your full draw stops at your face, not back here. If it's too long of a draw, especially the compound, because it has a let off, and if it's let off too far back, you'll never have form because it's supposed to be hand-eye coordination. And if you're anchoring back here, right. your eye's out of the equation now. So in, in Texas... There's a lot of great archery shops all across America. There's yeah, great shout archery out to shop. Archery Country right here in Austin. What's it's the name Austin. of it? Archery Country. Archery Country. It's it's a great shop, a really great shop. Um, who was the fir- Matthews was the first to come up with the compound, right? No. Um, was it? No. Uh, uh, Allen, the Allen compound, and uh, from Allen Archery, like the guys who make uh, yeah, still stuff today. I I don't Same know. Um, Allen and my first one was. Jeez, uh, why can't I remember? Uh, I bought it in 1977. Anyhow, there... I thought it was Matthews that had the patent. No, here no. it is. The compound bow was developed in 1966 by Wilbur Allen. Wilbur Allen in yeah. Northern Kansas. <laughs> At least I North got that Kansas right. Kansas City, huh? Missouri. A U.S. patent was granted in 1969. The compound bow has become increasingly popular. What is that? Wikipedia. Get the fuck out of here, Wikipedia. Wow, look at that. Look at his first bow. Look at that. That's wild. Yeah. Look at that photo. That thing's crazy looking. Yeah. That's just wow. engineering ingenuity, you know? That fella got no pussy. Look at him. Yeah. Just just sitting around shooting bows and arrows all day obsessed. There they are. Look at him. Beautiful. Isn't it amazing how things come out of obsession? Like, just look at that guy's face while he's holding that bow. Go back to that picture. That guy had probably been working on that thing. It had probably been in his head for years yeah. look how he made it out of wood but what 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 uh, uh matt mcpherson of matthews has done is he's taken engineering to a mad scientist level where the the uh the the, the finite measurements of the wheels and the 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 the, the cams they're so efficient. They are so capable now. It's just incredible that anybody figured this out, that this guy figured this out in 1966. When you look at that bow right there that he's got in his hand, like, look how crazy that contraption is <laughs> yeah. with all those well, strings we all, and pulleys and We all hated it. And when they yeah. first came out, we all went, what is, that's not a bow? <laughs> and everybody shot it with fingers and shot it instinctive. You shot instinctive with a, all with a compound bow forever, All up until just 12 right? years ago, yeah. 12 years ago. Wow. And so you brought the bow, the arrow up to your eye, like eyesight? Not necessarily. I did have it. I used three fingers under what they call the Apache draw. So it was closer to my eye than it was to my corner of my mouth. Like I started, I used the right. split finger when I started. And you see a gap when you do it that way. You can't the bow like Fred Bear and everybody did. They can't to the side to open up that path to the target. Mm-hmm. And you see the arrow under you and you know that it's going to be rising 
to come right. to your eye level, just like a bullet rises to the scope. Mm-hmm. Um, and you learned what those gaps are at different yardages. And I got to tell you, when I was a kid, I wish I could shoot today like I did when I was a kid. I couldn't miss. as I, I don't care if it was a flying bird or a running squirrel. I, just that natural, no baggage, no psychological considerations. Like the samurai warrior said to Tom Cruise when he couldn't quite master the samurai, he went, too many minds. Mm. You can't think about some things. You right. don't think about a 90-yard pass. I'm not a football fan, but you have to instinctively know what this thrust yeah. is to that guy's running and when it will coincide with the receiver. It's a thing with training. I mean, that, that is the number one thing about martial arts is that you execute based on your training. Yeah. You don't even think about it. It's not just muscle memory, but spirit memory. Right. It, it, yeah. It, it's got, it, it, that's, I use the term samurai a lot, and mm-hmm. I use the term out of body a lot. I think, Bo, I think archery is a martial art. No question about yeah, it. Yeah, it really no is. And if, I think people good guitar don't think playing about, is a martial ah, art. The way you do it. I really, I really do believe yeah. that. I don't, I don't write songs. I don't contemplate patterns. I pick up the guitar and things happen based on where I am um, emotionally, um, spiritually, cocky, defiantly, easygoing, not easygoing. Um, and those patterns, the new record, I can't rave enough about Detroit Muscle. The songs, there's an instrumental it's called Winter, Spring, Summer, Fall. And I, I'm notorious for instrumentals that have beautiful melodies that, that grow. Like a song called Earth Tone goes... It's just beautiful. I recognize that from the Spirit of the Wild TV show. And the new album has one called Winter, Spring, Summer, Fall. And just listen to this pattern. One day I got up like I do every day and I went... where you are and if you can express sonically and melodiously and make a statement and I, I hunt every day I do chores out every day I plant trees or I fill feeders or I work on fences so I have dirt in my hands all the time 
And when I sit down, I didn't I didn't sit down and go, hey, a neat title for a song would be Winter, Spring, Summer, Fall. What would that sound like? No, I just play. And after I played it, I, I realized that I'm playing my life in a year, winter, spring, summer, fall. What do I do in the winter? I'm continuing to harvest because come spring, there's going to be regrowth and planting. Summer, ideal conditions for the growth of that spring planting. Fall, harvest. So if ever there was an organic musical consciousness, it's me. Can I ask you again about um, what, why did you switch from uh, using uh, instinctive with fingers to using a release and a sight? Old man's eyeballs. <laughs> I started missing. <laughs> yeah. My buddy Brian Shootback, just a guru of archery, runs a little, it's actually quite a sporting goods store in Jackson, Michigan, Shootback Sporting Goods. People come from hundreds of miles to let Brian and his team set up their bows because they're dedicated archery craftsmen engineers. Because on a compound bow, it really is a, a mechanical beast. And everything has to be timed really specifically. The wheels, the cams, the, the tiller between the limbs and the string, the way the cables connect, where the arrow comes out, where the rest allows the arrow to come out straight. Um, and so Brian Shootback, I would... Call him and say, I missed a fucking buck this morning again. He goes, let me set you up a bow with a peep sight. And I go, nah, I can't do that. And he goes, let, I'm setting you one up. Just use it. So he set it up. And a peep in, sight, but no, no, no housing, no sight? No, actually, it had a peep and a pin. Oh, it had one pin. And it had a loop and a release. Uh, the whole modern. You'd never use a loop before then. So mm -hmm. you'd been hunting for how long without a D-loop? <laughs> what? 50 years <laughs> 50 years well, well, how apprehensive were you to try to switch over and change um i respect brian and i was really frustrated slash angry at making bad shots not all the time but enough to piss me off because to get a close range encounter on a michigan whitetail is one of the most impossible tasks under the sun these animals are born looking for guitar players and trees uh, they, <laughs> they're twitchy they're so whitetails are so smart especially the michigan ones because they've been hunting since they were mm -hmm. born anyhow um so i respected brian's recommendation but it was difficult for me because instead of the smoothness of looking at my target and coming up muscle memory, let go now. I'd have to find the pin in the peep and hang on for a second, which is mm -hmm. really uh, uh, contrary to my shooting system. Um, but within a couple days, I stuck with it, and boy, I was zapping them right in there because once that pin and that peep is there, if you can control Mr. Right Hand and Mr. Trigger Finger like a rifle shot, Right. Um, breathing, sight acquisition, pin in the peep, on the spot. Okay, do it. Did you ever fuck around with hinges? Did you ever use like back tension releases or anything? I like have. That? Yeah? Couldn't do it. Why couldn't you do it? I, I, I'm here to admit Joe Rogan live on the Joe Rogan podcast experience. I, Ted Nugent, have target panic. A lot of people do. But. I have it, but I manage it with that right hand thing. Mm -hmm. Mr. Right Hand, when I draw down on a target or a deer, I'm thinking, first of all, I have an orange square on every target. 
I have a day glow orange tape on all my 3D targets. I, I shoot out to 60 yards and I have my pins set accordingly. And I, as I draw down, I have an orange tape on my bow. So it reminds me, orange tape. Okay, this, we're just going for the orange tape. It's not a buck. It's not a target. It's not a bullseye. Okay, orange tape. He missed the right hand. Remember, it's all about the orange tape. I've actually cured people. Not cured, but helped them manage target panic, which means you freeze off target and desperation you yeah. fling. Yeah. It's, it's a curse. Most Olympic guys have had, most archers have get it at one point or another. And so when I shoot now, I shoot various Matthews bows, and they're lightweight, 50 pounds, and I shoot mostly shoot two-blade broadheads. And I go orange tape on bow. Okay, orange tape. That's right, just orange tape. Just, just We're going for the orange tape. It's not that big of a deal. All right, Mr. Right Hand, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. And I zap the shit out of him. It's just awesome. But I had to have a, a, a diversion reference to orange tape. I swear to God, Joe, when I shoot, when I shot at Buck two days ago, a real Buck, a live Buck, I saw the orange tape on his crease. Mm. Now, did you have any target panic when you were using fingers and you're shooting instinctive? It It just became down to the trigger. So beautiful. Have you ever paid attention to, do you know Joel Turner, the shot IQ system? I don't. I know the, I know this. Do you know who he is? Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's got a really good website, and he used to be. I think he still does. Uh, he works with uh, SWAT teams, and he so trains people in the difference between open loop and closed loop thinking, and that uh, in open loop thinking, um, I can always fuck these two up. I believe open loop is like swinging a baseball bat. Like uh, the 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 ball comes and you swing, and at no point in time can you stop it. Like you're just swinging, right? You're not going to check it. But a closed loop is like you're in complete control of every movement through the entire process and you're thinking yourself through it. And what he does is he has like a mantra that he talks you through. And the idea is to keep your mind conscious and to keep yourself from being just working on reflexes, just like hitting anxiety and then punching the trigger. And instead of doing that, you work through your shot process and you achieve a surprise shot. And one of the ways you do that is by keeping your mind on a mantra and talking and I think his you know his not his, yet mr. right hand yeah, not yet. yeah and then he talks you th- through this the thing that he does the way he says it um, I think it works yeah I think his is draw back and aim get it done watch it to keep it and the idea of watch it to keep it is like follow that arrow like watch become you know like Remy Warren says be the arrow stay on your form Mm-hmm. To the arrow hits. Yeah, and this idea of yeah. keeping that that conversation constantly going in your mind keeps your mind on conscious thought rather than going on instinct. And yeah. I, it's helped me tremendously. Good. But one thing that's helped me tremendously is a hinge. I started shooting with a hinge, and a I shot hinge. I yeah. mean, in other words, where uh, it, it it won't release the arrow till you finish your back tension. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I use Dudley's. I use this one called the Too Smooth. God damn, I love this thing. It's, I'd love to it's try amazing. that. I, I hey, shot John, my biggest send me L. one of them. I'll have him send you one. I wish I'd known. I would have brought one. But um, the It's called a hinge. Yeah. The I know they've is made... The, the release 
comes from the movement of your hand. Yes. Right? And there's like a little click. I hear it like when I get to like right here, I'm pulling my fingers back. I hear a little click. And I know all I have to do is just pull with my back muscles and it'll go off. And sure. I have no idea when it's going to go off, but it's going to go off. That's it right there. Well, there you I go. love that damn thing. Sure. And I, I shot the biggest elk I've ever shot in my life this year with that hinge. Well, you know, you mentioned the click. Yeah. There was back in the old days during longbow and recurve competition, there was what they called the clicker. Are you aware of that? Yes. Where yes. it goes on the top of yeah. the limb, and you come to full draw, mm -hmm. but this little, this little spring steel piece of steel is against the string, and you have to finish your draw with the same back tension. Right. And when you hear that click. little click come off the string, you let go. Yes. So there, there's a lot of there's cycle. Yeah. Deep psychology to definitive archery. Yes. Yes. You tell really talk is. to any Olympic archer. And they'll tell you that archery accuracy is 99% mental. Mm -hmm. Anybody can grab the bow, anybody can hold the string, and anybody can pull it back to some, discover form. Archery form is critical, especially on the Olympic line, especially when there's an elk out there, especially if it's further than 30 yards. But that form, it's, it's, it's when you execute the shot that is all mental and especially it's, it's a fucking elk and it's a great big one what the f it, yeah it becomes it's like it's like there's no world there's only that fucking elk and you gotta hit him in the crease and sometimes people shoot the antlers because that's what they're thinking about they're, that's what they're which looking is at. nuts well i've studied all the shootings and typically in a shootout between good guys and bad guys you get this tacky psychia where the whole world is towards the weapon, and mm. they typically shoot the, the weapon. weapon. Yeah, which yeah. isn't necessarily a bad thing, but not it, the best thing. Not the best thing. Yeah, it's it's when you are shooting a target, whether it's a, an elk or whether it's a, a target, just a three D target. Are you looking at your pin, or are you looking at the spot you want to hit? Looking at the spot I want to hit. Yeah. yeah, that's a weird thing too, right? It's different. That's where the very old man's different. eyes. Yeah. It's also very different than a rifle. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you're shooting with a rifle, you want to center that reticle, and yep. you, you just squeeze, 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 squeeze. Boom. Ultimately, that reticle. And my grandson shot a beautiful doe yesterday with my GA Precision 308 from George Gardner out of Kansas City. He wins all the long-range stuff. He just creates one of the most accurate rifles on the planet. Plus, I got a new one from the U.S. Marine Armor that I haven't even shot yet. I, I'm such a lucky guy. But anyhow, I do a lot of shooting. I do a lot of training every day. I shoot my handguns every day, and I shoot long-range every day. And it is a, a conflict because on long-range... You don't want to waste your time on that little plate. You want to see those crosshairs because the plate's so small at that long range, right. even with a 24 magnification. So hand-eye coordination, spirit, breathing, sight control, you get a good rest. Obviously, every time with a bow and arrow, you don't get a rest. And this guy... This guy's in charge of your life. That finger. All right, Mr. That's right Hand. All right, Mr. Now, here's one thing. You probably like to shoot long-range rifle stuff. Don't pull the trigger anymore with your finger. Get that finger on the trigger. Know when it's going to go off. And wrap that finger on it, just like a, a like release. A but squeeze your whole hand. Because when you squeeze your trigger finger, you're actually pulling to the side. Mm. It's not coming straight back. You can discover that, but if you use, you squeeze your whole hand, you get your finger on the trigger, and you squeeze your whole hand, 
that trigger figure is going to come back. And it just seems to work really good for me. You know Lee Lakowski, right? I know the name, yeah. From that show. Oh, yeah, Crush, from the, Lee and Tiffany. Yeah, yeah. Lee and Tiffany. He's a killer. He is a killer. Um, he, w I had a nice long conversation with him in Elk Camp. We shared Elk Camp this year. And he was telling me that he has, uh, he shoots with a, a Carter Target 4. Right. And he gets that, the, the yep. trigger in his thumb and he makes a fist. So and that's a, that's a thumb release. Yeah, it's a yeah, thumb I release. I use that off and on too. The thumb goes in the hook of his thumb. That's what he's but talking he about, shoot. the whole hand. He, yeah, he doesn't shoot with the thumb. He yes. just makes a fist. Yes. And he just practices that so often and he's been shooting with that same release for 20 plus years. And that's muscle memory mm -hmm. and shot sequence management. Yeah. It's all about shot sequence management. No increments of the shot sequence are isolated. They're all relative with the bow and arrow or a, a firearm. Mm -hmm. You have to have a muscle memory, and the only way you achieve that is repetition, repetition, shoot every day. You got to yeah. shoot every day. That's why I mentioned a little while ago if you get into archery, well, I don't have any place to shoot. Your living room. Well, you don't expect me to shoot a bow in the living room, do you? Yes, that's where I shoot my bow. I shoot my bow in every hotel on tour every year for the last 50 years. You bring your bow on tour? Yeah. What do you do? Do you like put up? I got a little target, a little, target? little tiny ball, but I, it, it's right there. But what am I practicing? Shot Muscle sequence. Memory, right. Shot, shot it's sequence. all. It doesn't mm. matter whether it's an elk at forty yards or the ball at ten feet. This guy has got to be. It's like when you pick up the guitar, I don't have to look where I'm going to play. I know where the strings are and I know where the frets are because I do it all the time since right. about nineteen forty nine. Same with the bow and arrow. I think it's probably more crucial with the bow and arrow. But as I tell everybody, I'm doing a master class, a, a, a rock and roll fantasy camp master class. When is it? Um, December 8th? Anyhow, you, you book this master class with me, and I explain how to express yourself on a guitar, quite honestly, on anything. Do they transfer over? Like the idea of expressing yourself with a bow and arrow, expressing yourself with a guitar? Same. If you're a great welder, same. Mm. A great electrician, same. Great Speaking mechanic. Of samurai. Miyamoto yeah. Musashi said that. Yes. Once you understand the way broadly, you will see it in all things. Yes. In all things. Now, see, I didn't know that, yeah. but I knew that. Yeah. Inst I'm an instinctive guy. My instincts rule my life. They're they're tuned in. They've walked wild grounds. They've got. But you honor those instincts, like you treat them with yes. respect. I'm, I genuflect at the altar of my instinct. Mm. And in the hotel room or in your living room, you can do archery. If you, when you first start, you might want to get a big backstop. Yeah. But my kids learned archery and marksmanship in the living room with Daisy Red Rider BB gun shooting at clothespins in the fireplace with a bunch of cardboard behind it. Why mm. not? Um, archery will only be optimized Repetition, repetition. I think anything in life. Yeah. Guitar for sure. Music. Um, all the important things like welding and mechanics. And how about mechanics? Don't you just worship great mechanics? I do. I worship these people. I was going to bring my uh, 1970 Chevelle here, but uh, unfortunately, what's under the hood on that? A 454. That's awesome. You saw my my fighter jet out there. What do you got out there? I got a brand new. It's just so much fun. Dodge Challenger Hellcat Supersport Wide Body Red Eye 840 Horse. Oh, yeah. And based on what's in the trunk, it is a fighter jet. I have a uh, so Ram TRX. That's what I do. That's a great truck. Yeah. Except it's got a governor on it. It won't go more than 118 miles an hour. 
Uh, get, get rid of that. You got to get it from Hennessy. Yeah, that's right. Hennessy changes everything. But I'm, I'm a high performer. Yeah. I love high performance. I do too. I know you do. That's why I was going to bring it. But I had to go somewhere afterwards, and I, I can't park the Chevelle anywhere. Yeah. It's like a velvet prison. Oh, I can't man. just leave it somewhere. You're 70? Yeah. And all rebuilt. Oh, Best suspension. Who yeah. did it? Roaster shop. Yeah. Awesome. I... I I got a '74 Bronco that the Texas Metal Maniacs. I know down. you do. <sighs> you yeah, a, you have a great collection of cars. Uh, your your, uh, your love for Broncos is. I pretty... love horsepower. I have a '72. I I got a I got a '66, completely frame off rebuild, but stock. Yeah. You know, except for the improvements, suspension, mm -hmm. drivetrain, I got a '74 that. The Texas Metal Maniac Gods of Thunder have created for me that is just a snort monster. I got an, an 82 with 90 body parts that Brian Shoopak and Dave Miller, you got to go for a ride with me in this thing. It's got a Roush Yates <laughs> 800 horsepower, got curry axles. It's I could take it to Baja and just crush. It's so powerful. It's so performance. It, I, it, I, There's something any, about those American muscle cars, too. I, American muscle is except just the, the old, sound. Except the American muscle car from the muscle car era, which I missed out on because I was too buying station wagons for the Amboy Dukes. I've more than made up for it because the hottest, most powerful muscle car from the muscle car era couldn't touch this fire-breathing Hellcat Red Eye. No, couldn't can't touch it. Not, not even close. Not even close. So once I found out that Dodge was producing 700, 800, 840 horses from the factory, I immediately called him and said, I need I need a couple of these. You and know, I, you're going to hate this. What can't touch any of the, these cars is my Tesla. That's what I, I know. Everybody tells me that. I have a Tesla Model S Plaid, the new one. Jesus Christ. Had it. Zero to 104 seconds. Machine. It's zero to one twenty in four seconds. It's zero to sixty in one point nine. <laughs> it's a time machine. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like when you merge into traffic, I love that part. It's fucking insane. Well, it's like this Hellcat Red Eye. If whatever I want to go, yeah, I'm there. Yeah, they the, don't even know I'm in town. This thing is silent. I know That's it's what's outrageous. the most fucked up part about it. You don't even feel obnoxious. It's outrageous. Like when you stomp on the gas on the TRX, it's like. <laughs> It just I love has this that. roar. I love it too. But there's something special about doing it in total silence. The opening lick of my new record, Detroit Muscle, says, Strap your ass in. I got a fire breathing Mopar. Downtown Detroit is like a rock and roll dream. Kick out the jams if you really want to go far. Motor City Soul going to make you scream. Every night down at Woodward and Telegraph, every red light is like a drag race hell. It talks all about the Detroit. Fire of muscle cars. You know they're canceling the Hellcat engine. There's what? They're canceling I know, the I Hellcat saw that. engine. So does that mean they're going to continue the Demon? I don't think so. I think they're going to go. Think all it's electric. over. They're going to go all electric. Everything's going electric. Uh, fucking idiots. <laughs> it's so, Joe. Let me ask you. All the lithium batteries. Them. Where yeah. are they, where are they going? They're conflict minerals. They come from the ground, Ted, and you got to get them from really fucked up places in Who the world. Who convinced these idiots that this is right? I think the idea is the emissions are better. So it is better for our air. But as far as like what it does for the environment and what it does for conflict and what it I mean you negative. You, you have All to negative. get that stuff. 
I mean, all negative. There's the places in the world where lithium is very plentiful, or just some sketchy ass. And our places. enemies own it all. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Afghanistan is a huge uh, place where they get lithium. Af- Afghanistan has a massive supply of lithium, but a lot of it is uh, taken from uh, also like Africa has a lot of it. It's a lot of uh, the different areas where people are mining for lithium, and there's a finite amount of it too. You know, they're the like they were worried about running out of oil, which they never did. But they were worried at one point in time before they figured out how to do fracking and a lot of other stuff. And then they figured out that there was more reserves than they thought there were. But they um, they kind of run out of minerals too. I'm sure, unless they figure out how to recycle them, the ones that we have. I like horsepower. My one Bronco is uh, tuned up because about 800 yards to the gallon. The thing and, is, the uh, sound. It sounds so. The sound good. is so fucking the beautiful. The Hellcat is so beautiful. Oh. Roush Yates V8s, so beautiful. I love them all, but the old sound is the best sound. Yep. The old sound, like I have a 1970 Barracuda, and you hear that thing fucking sure. fire. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's just. Yeah, but the new uh, ones are just as good. They're I amazing. Think the new the new Mopars are just as good as it's, the old ones. It's like having sex with a condom on. It's all coming through. Some I, weird I wouldn't fucking, know. 1970 no Chevelle SS found parked on a garage. Is that yours? Since 1978. <gasps> no. What? Yeah. That's insane. I was just looking to, and uh, six days ago, the story. Oh, came my out. God. 454 or 396? It's a 454. Oh, my yeah. God. That's the one. Well, how about this, Joe? How about you could get a 454 in a Corvette in 1974 that put out 190 horse? They were dog shit. Isn't that hilarious? Absolute embarrassment. <laughs> but that was after the gas crisis, right? I know, but still, so kiss my ass. Horrible. If, if we can get a horse per cube, if yeah. we can now get almost two horses per cube, what yeah. were they thinking back then? Well, back then, everybody lost their fucking mind when they had to wait in line for gas. Yep. During that whole gas crisis era, America 73, yeah. fell apart. The golden age for American muscle cars, in my opinion, is between 65 and with with a Barracuda, you can get to 71. After 71, things start getting yep. real slippery. Yep. They just start looking like shit. You could get a, Comet, a, a Mercury Comet Caliente with a 411 rear end, 427 that rated at over 450 horse with a Hearst 4 speed on the floor for like three grand. Oh, my God. Just what was three grand in America, Torque like today's monsters. dollars? Yeah. What was that in today's dollars, if you like accounted for inflation? 80, 80 grand. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. My first Bronco, 1970, my first Bronco, three grand. Brand new, right off the showroom floor. Wow. Mm-hmm. Those cars. Now, man. now 100, you get that same view, 100, 100, $3,000, 1970s worth, oh, it's only worth $21,000 wow. today. Oh, that's not the nicely done, Jamie. It's just a random calculator. Jamie is a technician. I have He's no idea how he does that. Jamie's the master. That's uh, that's not See, that bad. That's actually really reasonable. It is Jamie, right? Yeah. See, Jamie is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. If you want to play killer guitar, you got to do it every day. If you want to be a great welder, you got to do it every day. If you want to be a great technician of the Google world, you got to do it every day like Jamie does. A big salute to you, Jamie. You are the samurai of Googleology or whatever the hell. Do you use DuckDuckGo at all, Jamie? Uh, you should. Uh, yeah. They don't track you that way. When you when you Googling something sketchy. 
Maybe you might uh, want to go over to DuckDuckGo. I know some of the landmines you got to watch out for <laughs> when you're Googling. Yeah. I pay no I have no idea how to work that shit. I'm glad I just have this thing on my phone that you gave me the address, and I punched it in, and Rocco, my son, showed me how to put it on the screen and told me where to go. I remember in the old days, you have to stop at a pay phone, have to stop at the golf station, get out a map, and find where you're going. It was awesome. I'm so glad I paid my dues in the 60s and 70s. You had to improvise, adapt, and overcome. You had to be a yeah. critical you thinker. You read maps. Yeah, you have to know how to get from point A to point B when there was only a map at the Shell station. Yeah. I'm so glad I busted my ass. People consider it a struggle. It wasn't a struggle. It was a fucking orgy. It was a riot. It was so much fun. Unbelievably hard work, yes, but so invigorating, so titillating, so stimulating, so intriguing. Every out, We played 350 concerts a year from 67 through 74. 350? Yes, we played. I, days off a year? I dared my booking agent to, to let us have a day off. We play 40, 50 <laughs> shows in a row. Oh, my God. And I drove all of them. I did all the driving. I set up the equipment. I booked the Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn was a three-folder uh, brochure, and you could I could find the ones that were nine. Ninety-five a night, and we'd get one room, and we'd all stay in the same room. Oh my God! When when we stayed in a room, typically it was on the road the whole time. Everybody slept in the car. Wow! What a what a riot I've had, and I'd never do it again. I couldn't. I couldn't possibly survive that. Now, when I go on tour next summer to make up for last year and this year, God damn it, are we horny to play again? Grayson. Jason Hartless on drums, Greg Smith on bass, my crew, Linda, Doug, Bobby, my crew. It's If the military operated like my rock and roll machine, we'd win every war and we wouldn't go to any illegal ones. Mm. I have the best band, the best crew, the best team, the best management. So efficient. Their job description, I was telling your buddy uh, Jeff here, that's my brother's name. I was telling Jeff, I asked him what he does, and he goes, a little bit of everything. I went, you could work with me, because everybody <laughs> in my life, the job description is, yes, I can do that. And if I can, I'll figure it out and be able to in three minutes. Yeah, that sounds like Jeff. Now, when you talk to a guy like you that's been doing something like playing music for as long as you have and you still love it as much as you do that makes me very happy it really does it makes just, me so I, happy. I love that when people appreciate what they do and love what they do and and feel like they're in the right line of business the saddest shit in the world is when you're talking to someone who doesn't like what they do but let me I, let me comment i think that's why i'm here you know who i adore and worship and pray for and am inspired by kamala harris Yes, because once you identify that level of evil, you know you have to fight for good. Sorry to interrupt. No, who, but that's, who do you but love? That was a good one because my, my response was even better. My point is, you know who I worship? The rush hour motherfuckers of America. The people at the checkout counter at the grocery store. The people at the, at the stores. The people. The mechanics, the people who bust their ass to go in, some of them really love the mechanic work. They really love being a, 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 a chef, but some of them don't, but they still do it. They know they have to be self-sufficient. They know they have to be productive. They know, and I know these people, and I am so humbled and honored that I've been able to pursue my my cravings, not just my preferences. I I. I couldn't not play music. It, it, it's, it's who and what I am. I couldn't not go bow hunting. It's, it's, it's my heartbeat. But a lot of people 
bust their ass to be a good checkout guy and a good mechanic and a good janitor and a good, and they're not really in love with it, but they do it every day. And as I come here today driving down 35, which by the way, you must know how much I love you because I would not do this. I would not go down I-35 for just anybody. Is I-35 bad? Well, today's the first time I've driven it since uh, probably a year ago when the construction was still just a death wish. <laughs> but my my far tree stand is a pain in the ass for me to get to. I don't go anywhere. Okay. But, but to express myself with Joe Rogan, I'm more than happy but it's to. So to me, coming from Los Angeles, these highways are a dream here. <laughs> it's there's no one it here. It is a, coming from Los Angeles, yes. <laughs> it's but so my, much better. My point is, is that we have to give a huge, heartfelt, gonzo salute to the working army of America. Because a lot of them don't love their gig. Yeah. But they still do it. And they're not getting rich. They can still live a good life if they use their head and what they spend their money on and how the how the improvised adapt overcome and use their heads and i know all these people i i i have a campfire every weekend september october into november i got a birthday hunt next in two weeks i got a new year's hunt and these people book these hunts with me from every imaginable walk of life from every imaginable job description from every imaginable ideology Is this, th- this sunrise safaris yes sunrise safaris. And so are you are you doing this in michigan like where are you where do you have in these hunts? we start them in michigan in september october for early november then we come down here and i have my birthday hunt and then my new year's hunt and then i go to the triple seven ranch in hondo for an annual hunt so i book ted nugent hunts and you go on the campfire, I play my guitar, and we bullshit, we shoot at the range together. And I how do pictures. people sign up for these? They go to Sunrise Safaris on my website. And just any normal person can yeah, go and hunt with Ted book Nugent? It. Book it. And they wow. sign a waiver. And I think the waiver says if I if I snap and stab him in the head, it's their fault. Um, I, a lot like the waiver you tried to get me to sign coming in here. <laughs> Which I will sign after we dissect it. But my point is, is that I know these shit kickers. Right. I... I hear them. And around my camp, you can tell that there's no inhibitions. Nobody hesitates to tell me anything they believe, whether it's conflicting, suspicious, uh, out of character, out of line. So I get such beautiful feedback, raw, unvarnished, honest feedback about every imaginable from the good, the bad, the ugly, especially with all the bad and the ugly that the world is producing right now. So I know these people and I know that that hardware store clerk saved money to go hunting with me and he tells me about his truck and his new rifle and he's a hardware clerk. I know how these people operate. They're frugal. They're smart. Their work ethic is is, is godlike. And they're at my campfire, and they share what Fred Bear means, what Stranglehold means, what, what my music means to them, what freedom means to them, what the First Amendment means to them, what the Second Amendment means to them, how distrusting the government is, how they love their family, how they, they love their daughter, the volleyball. I mean, I get such a, a totality of input from just great shit kicker Americans that when I speak, it's not Ted Nugent stuff. It's the accumulation of this raw, honest, unvarnished evidence 
that goes into my psyche. So when I comment about something, it's not, well, my, my presumption would be, I don't presume shit. I hear from, then I've been doing this, the campfire thing for almost 40 years. So and, for forty years you've been having these just yeah, hunts with yeah and, random and then the backstage and then the backstage banter and then the people that stop me at the gas station the people yeah. stop me at Whole Foods and at the coffee shop and the the input they're uninhibited and they 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 want to share it with me because they see me saying what they're not even allowed to say that's what they all almost all of them reference that God I wish I could say what you said I'd get fucking fired if I said it thank yeah, you so much that's the real problem with that's, the job right that's the real problem it's uh, being able to express your opinions is very hard yeah that's it's a, a, it's a, a giant and harder so today because of social media I mean it's uh people are getting fired for stuff they said on their social media 10 years ago unbelievable yeah and particularly today with like it doesn't even have to be controversial I was talking to this guy uh uh, Dr. Mike Hart from uh, Canada, a guy who's been on my show today uh, before in the past, and he was telling me that he posted something on LinkedIn, and it was just a study showing um, how people uh, should take vitamin D, and it was associating high levels of vitamin D with positive COVID nineteen. So far, so good. Outputs. That's it. It was just a scientific paper he shared on LinkedIn, and he got, it got banned. Like they 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 pulled it down. And Ock to it, him, motherfucker. It, it, he, there was nothing. He, I go, sh send me what you wrote. Like, I'll, I'll read it to you because it's so cr fucking crazy. Isn't that heartbreaking? Here it is. This is what he wrote. Vitamin D treatment shortened hospital stay and decreased mortality in COVID cases, even the existence of comorbidities. Vitamin D supplementation is effective on various target parameters. Therefore, it's essential for COVID-19 treatment. It's a PubMed study. It's a peer-reviewed study. And it is in no way anti-vaccine. It's in no way anything. There's, not, there's nothing negative about it at all. It's just saying that vitamin D is very important to your immune system. So he, pu he publishes this, and it gets pulled from LinkedIn. They literally said, you know, we're pulling this down. It's been removed because it goes against our professional community policies. Like, sure what does. the fuck does that even mean? This they're, guy's a doctor. He's a fucking medical. He's an MD. And they're professional. It's crazy. Devil policy. I mean, how I don't understand how it. evil can you not to be understood? There right. is evil in this world. And when you have someone recommending an upgrade procedure for quality health yeah. and someone bans it the people who bans that recommended upgrade for quality health is pure fucking evil that's all you need yeah. to understand there's a there's a there's a narrative holy shit there's hey, a narrative Jeff or josh now. bring me some water there's water, water right here buddy is there water yeah there's water in that there for you right. that's you. it never mind jeff and josh got it the there's no reason why anybody <laughs> should not be able to talk about things that are helpful and the narrative today is it's either the vaccine or nothing. And anything that shows you that you're healthier because of it in some way or another could increase vaccine hesitancy. Like they, they want you to be sick unless you take a vaccine. It's really strange. Cruel, evil, hateful, rotten to the core. That whole leftist agenda, that media, academia, big tech, censorship, Hollywood, it's, it's fucking just strange. Rotten. To, but yeah. It's not really strange. It's strange in America because it's never been this horrible. But historically, 
this level of evil and rot has existed. If you're aware of the Trail of Tears or the Bataan Death March or the uh, or the rape of Nanking, um, if you're not aware of that stuff, then this would be shocking to you. But if you're aware of the depth of evil and cruelty and demonacy of mankind, then this is nothing different than the history of evil and cruelty and demonacy of mankind. How and that this, describes the left. How did it come out? like this though because the left was all about like make love not war i don't think right? so but what happened like what it, why did it shift to this careful, totalitarian like ideology that must be subscribed to and then this this uh, giving in to authority which is weird i will not comply joe i'm here to help you know i'm here to help and yes. i do respect your elders right yes do not bother yourself with the big question, why? Just acknowledge if the guy's breaking into your house, you have to shoot him. You don't need to know why he's breaking into I your know, house. I know, but I'm a curious person. So I, I, and, I, and I just don't understand how so many people are going along with this. I understand that it's anxiety that goes along with the, par the pandemic, and there's also this desire to not be attacked, so you attack others. I get that. I get I get all the psychological mechanisms that are at play that allow people to fall into this sort of totalitarian thinking. Because the, the, the totalitarian thinking is so strange to me that it's coming from the left, that they're giving in to this authoritarianism. They're giving in to this idea that the government is your friend and the pharmaceutical companies are looking out for your best interest. It's the craziest <laughs> Crazy. thing ever to have that come from the most educated. I mean, if you look at traditionally, the people on the left traditionally have the most education. All right, well, they stop might right not be there. the most intelligent. Where did that education come Schools. from? Or what is the content right, of that sure. education? For sure. But it's, it's still in their eyes, like for, throughout history. If you if you talk to people like if you talk to people in the 1990s about the le from the left and you ask them do you trust the pharmaceutical companies they'd be like fuck no. If you talk to people in the 2000s that were dealing with the opioid crisis and all the other issues, I mean if you watch that show Dope Sick, if you see like the depths that these pharmaceutical companies have gone to mm. in order to sell poison to mm. people and t to talk to people and lie to them to tell them this poison is not addictive, and to to trick politicians. And I have a friend who used to be a sales rep, and he and I were talking about this the other day, and he used to be a sales rep for pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies, and he said they would tell him, you are going to be best friends with that doctor. You're going to know his fucking kids' names. You're going to show up at his kids' games. You're going to get them free tickets to baseball games. You're going to get them free meals. You're going to do whatever you can to get inside their good graces, and the idea is to get them to prescribe as much of our drugs as possible. And he was, I had never heard this, I, I knew that he had done something in the pharmaceutical industry, but I didn't know how deep it was. And he and I had this conversation about it. It was mind-blowing. And he's your friend because his conscience kicked in. Yeah, well, he's not in that business at all That's anymore. my point. His yeah. conscience kicked in. Well, he was in. young. He was like 21 years old when he was doing this, like fresh out of college. Well, the movie but, The Fugitive. They yeah. manipulate it to become rich and controlled, in control, and they could, they could give a shit about how many lives are lost. But when he was explaining how this guy makes this amount of money because he sells this amount and he has Sure. This and, and they they had a list down of all the doctors that prescribe the most drugs and all the doctors that'll prescribe the most SSRIs, the most painkillers, the most anti-anxiety sure. medication, and that they're just fucking handing this shit out like candy, and they're being encouraged to do this from these pharmaceutical companies Paid. and the rep 
sort of paid, but not really. It's a lot of it is influence. A lot of it is influence through giving them free things, giving them free meals. It is, but it's also like they develop this reputation and this relationship with these doctors and these nurses, and they take everyone to dinner, and then when someone comes along, they go, well, well, Pfizer's your friend. Pfizer's my friend. And then next thing you know, they're prescribing whatever the fuck Pfizer's selling. Mankind is so capable of soulless weakness where you can buy their soul. Mm-hmm. You can buy their decision. You can, you can have them look away from their morals to enrich and empower themselves. But again, when you start asking why, I don't know, why isn't Eric Holder and uh, Barack Obama in prison for killing Brian Terry? I mean, why is Brian Terry? Brian Terry was the Michigan uh, border agent that was killed with the guns that Barack Obama and Eric oh, Holder right. the, gave to the Mexican drug cartels that, that killed called? Brian Terry with. What was that uh, operation called? Yeah, Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious, that's right. I mean, and that so, was, that was the cra- I mean, explain what that was, because it's one of the craziest things. Craziest. To, to imagine that they thought that this was a good idea, they legally sold, I mean, legally in court, according to them, sold drugs or sold guns, guns. rather than Mexican cartels because they wanted to be able to track them. Yes, they, what, they were they so to figure an, out. they were so anti-gun. Barack Obama and Eric Holder, two of the biggest punks that ever slithered the earth, that they were going to provide as much firepower to the most evil people—the child molesters, the child traffickers, the drug importers, the fentanyl producers—they provided guns to the Mexican drug cartel devils to show that those types of weapons were will end up committing crimes in America because they also had the borders open where they could bring the guns that Eric Holder and Barack Obama gave to the drug cartels, American guns, mostly right. ARs and, and 1911 45s and 10 millimeters, a lot of Delta elites. They provided them. In fact, Mike, Mike, the FFL in, uh, in uh, Prescott in Phoenix that the FBI and the DEA used to provide all these firearms to the Mexican drug cartels knowingly claiming Eric and Holder, Barack Obama claiming, well, we need to track these guns to show you where they go so we can, we can get the guys that use them illegally. No, that's what that's what they were doing. They were doing it so that they would use them illegally so they could pass more restrictive gun laws in America. In other words, providing firepower to the Mexican gangs would somehow support the theory that gun control in America would make our streets safer. Is this well, this, un- is this Brian Terry was shot with one of those uh, SKSs? Yes. Well, it was AK forty seven. No, it was not a Kalashnikov machine gun. It was an SKS semi automatic. Now, is this a theory that this is why they did this? Is no, this- it came out. I mean, the book. I got to get the book. I'll get the guy's name. But is this uh, is it a theory that this was the motivation for them selling these drugs no, or these it, guns? It came rather? out. It came out in uh, documents that surfaced. So in documents that surfaced that showed a direct connection between them selling the guns and wanting to pass more restrictive Second Amendment laws? Yep. Who's fucking... Hey, hey, anybody a, wants to take my guns, fuck you. Whoa, that's strong strong words from Ted Nugent. I can't believe you're saying that when he handed me this. With a fucking cannon on it. That's what's hilarious. Mike Deddy, you ready? Yeah. Fast and Furious. Mike Deddy, get up. Hey Jamie, get the book by Mike Deddy. I think it might be called Fast and Furious. Uh, D E T T Y. He filmed the DEA and FBI instructing him to sell guns to known gang members from Mexico. 
He had cameras in his house as he had mountains of 1911s and Colt AR-15s as the DEA and FBI. Operation Wide Receiver. Everybody, and buy the book. To expose the corruption and deceit that led to Operation Fast and Furious, Mike Deddy. Wow. Cheryl Atkinson. Did anybody great... go to jail for that? Operation Fast and Furious? No. No one went to jail and for that. And so when you start asking why, you'd have to start there. Why? So explain that he had cameras in his house. He had cameras in his house filming and recording the DEA and the ATF. Oh, by the way, let's, let's take a little side trip here, shall we? Okay, Mr. Government Bureaucrat. Um, we decided the different bureaucracies that we need another bureaucracy to maybe milk some more tax dollars out of the American public and uh, bloat it to such a degree that we have 10,000 people doing the job of nine. Follow me on this. So they had a little meeting one day in a room, and they were, we need another bureaucracy. You know, we could probably make it really over bloated and expansive and waste a lot of tax dollars. Well, I, but I don't know what the bureaucracy should be about. Somebody in the back of the room went, alcohol. Well, now we don't really need, the government doesn't really have anything to say about alcohol, not since uh, prohibition. So uh, somebody else went, well, that, that doesn't matter. Let's just have an alcohol bureaucracy. So the bureaucrats in the room went, yeah, why not? Let's have it. The Bureau of Alcohol. Somebody in the back of the room went, tobacco, tobacco, throw it, tobacco in there. And they went, well, what does the government have to do with tobacco? It's just a fucking agriculture crop. We don't really have any say in that. Somebody in the room went, yeah, we don't need to. Just throw alcohol and tobacco. So these bureaucrats went, yeah, we could create a giant, bloated, wasteful, um, arbitrary Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco. Great. Somebody in the back of the room went, Skateboards, skateboards, skateboards. They went, no, that's a little fire. I don't think we'll ever convince anybody we need to control alcohol, tobacco, and skateboards. So somebody in the back of the room went, guns, let's do, throw guns in there. Well, that doesn't really make, what is really alcohol, tobacco, and firearms? That just, there's really the Second Amendment, there's no reason to have a bureaucracy. And the people in the room went, the fuck does that matter let's just create a fucking bureaucracy that deals with alcohol tobacco and firearms that is a weird group and so these it? assholes in the room went yeah we could probably start a law enforcement agency and bloat the shit out of that and then we could tax and we could have studies and we could go after people and we could so we could infringe but it says it shall not be infringed ah fuck that we can infringe if we want to infringe joe rogan Smart, smart man. I dare you to explain why there is such a bureaucracy that deals with alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. It's impossible. It's what kind of numbnut came up with that. By the way, all you ATF agents out there, you soulless pricks. How do you not challenge your boss that your agency is against the law in the United States of America? And I know some of these guys, and some of these guys are pretty good guys, but if you were a pretty good bass player, you couldn't be in my band because you have to be a really good bass player. You have to be the best bass player, and you have to be honest, and you have to stand up for what you believe in. And all you ATF agents and DE agents and FBI agents, you took an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America. You punks, every day you violate that sacred oath. How can you live with yourselves? How can you face your children knowing that you support an agency that has to do with alcohol, 
tobacco, and firearms. Don't you know deep in your soul that that is so stupid and so anti-American that you must have bouts of guilt? And I would recommend that you implement those bouts of guilt and you fight with good Americans to eliminate these illegal, immoral, anti-American, anti-freedom, oath-violating bureaucracies. I rest my case. And now if you come after me because of my Joe Rogan rant, bring it the fuck on. Wow. How did it start? Like, how long Some ago asshole in a room. Hey, shoelaces. But I mean... Prohibition. Prohibition? So it's been going I mean, on since the 1930s? Before that even, but yeah. The ATF? Oh, Nugent's really going to get in trouble now. We're running over the top. Fuck you. I'm a free American. If I want to have alcohol, tobacco, or a firearm, there's no man that has any input into that decision-making process. Those are my decisions. What is the idea of the ATF? Like, today, like, I can't what imagine. function do they serve? I can't imagine. Are they in... Is that the only regulatory body when it comes to firearms? Like, there there are some regulations no, when it comes to firearms. your sheriff department of, has that control. Your right. state troopers have that control. Your city police have that control. And There's unfortunately... No fed, but there is federal control, right? There's some federal yes, control of firearms. No, why is there? It's, it's a constitutional right. What the... How, how does a federal agent think he can control tobacco? Well, Where do you get the authority to control tobacco? The idea tobacco? is that you need a tobacco stamp, but that's an agricultural But why? Thing, right? Why do you need a tobacco stamp? <laughs> yes. Yeah, why do you? Why I, do you need a tomato stamp? I, 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 right. do, do I need a permit or paperwork or a license for my First Amendment? I guess no, the idea is I don't. all three of them kill people. I mean, is that the only thing they share in common? It seems like it is. Joe, I have a First Amendment. Yes. Before it was written down. I had it before they wrote it down. How'd you do that? Because I was born with it. I got it from God. Oh. The founding fathers wrote it down because King George and his punks thought that they can control our religions and our speaking. You know, it's interesting what's going on in Australia today. With, you think? Uh, the uh, over-the-top police state in response to COVID. My whole point. Yeah, that, that would not be possible in America under the current laws, the way it sits right now, because too many people are armed, particularly here. Hallelujah, especially yeah, I mean, in this room. You wouldn't be able to. You literally wouldn't be able to do that. You wouldn't be able to just roam and think, the streets think, and lock people down. Think of a president of the United States when discussing the Second Amendment who is so brain dead, soulless, and evil to the core. He is the supposedly commander-in-chief president of the United States of America. The one we have now? Yes, whatever that thing is. Punk. He, he barely knows he's a president, though. Mike, that's my point. So he's talking about the Second Amendment not that long ago, recently. And he goes, well, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you can keep and bear arms, but what are you going to do? We have nuclear weapons. Let's stop and take a, a moment and examine the thought process of the president of the United States, instead of supporting the people's God-given individual right as guaranteed by the Second Amendment to keep and bear arms, instead of voicing compassionate, freedom-loving support for that self-evident truth, he threatened us that our Second Amendment will do no good against the atomic nuclear power of that prick. What? What are you saying? 
He said your Second Amendment won't do any good because we have nuclear weapons. Don't you remember that exchange? No, I don't. Well, you, well I'm glad I'm here to, to remind you. Well, I'll get Jamie to find it. Jamie, find that one. He, he literally said your he Second said, Amendment. He said. Are they going to nuke the That's the my people? point. What kind of subhuman prick. Well, it's just their perspective is so Squirrels his way up to the commander-in-chief position, and then instead of voicing support for the self-evident truth that God gave us the right to freedom of speech and keep and bear arms, instead of stating that as a representative of the American experiment in self-government, he took the enemy's perspective and said your Second Amendment won't do any good because we have nuclear weapons. Is that real? Did he really say See, it you're question just like uh, I believe you. I, I believe you, but I'm just everything I say is true. I believe you. That's what Glenn Beck said when I said, Second you know, ninety six percent of violent crimes passed. are repeated. Hold on, look at this. Roll down. And I might add, the Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun. What? What type of weapon you could own? You couldn't buy a cannon. Those who say the blood of the the blood of patriots, you know, and all the stuff about how we're going to have to. Move against the government. Well, the tree of liberty is not water with the blood of patriots. What's happened is that there have never been, if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The point is that there's always been the ability to limit, rationally limit, the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it. The last time we had data on this issue Look at that of, freak. Listen to this man. Purchasing guns was more than 20 years ago. 5% of gun dealers, turns out, in the study we did, showed that 90% of illegal guns were found at the crime scenes sold by 5% of gun dealers. 5%. So 90 percent of the he's already made the statement the that we our second amendment won't do any yeah, good yeah. unless we have F, f-15s and nuclear weapons taking on the government that was i, I don't even understand that's not what, what he's there he's for he's not there for us to take him on he's there for to support us yeah he's supposed to work he's supposed for to us. help defend yeah. us not defend against right. us he's not supposed to be our boss either he's supposed to work for us which is a, a strange concept for people to get in their head like these these people are not supposed to be running us they're supposed to be working for us to enhance our life here in America. But this idea that there's always been a restriction on the type of weapons that you could have, that's not true. That's not, not in, true at all. It's not in the Constitution. Nope. If, if you look at the Bill of Rights, if you look at the Second Amendment, it doesn't say anything about you can't have a cannon. Bear arms. It does. Yeah. It says the, the, the right to a well-armed militia. To keep and bear arms, the right, the right to form a well-armed militia. In the atmosphere of King George's men coming to disarm yeah, us. Yeah, and in the atmosphere of the potential tyranny from a corrupt government. And if you don't think that it's possible for a corrupt government, just look to the past. It's, it just doesn't mean it's happening right now where you're going to have to take arms against the government, but there could... And I think until COVID came around and until we saw what's going on in Australia and in some other parts of the world where you do see unarmed populations who are being controlled by police states, like look what's happening in Hong Kong, right? Look what's happening in other parts of the world where they, they don't have any weapons, they don't have any control, and they're being controlled by these totalitarian regimes. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. That this This idea of taking up arms... It, it becomes more and more possible in a lot of people's eyes today tyrants see the news tyrants need unarmed and helpless victims they do yeah and you know it's also the way people behave 
they behave and think differently when they're governing people that are unarmed. They really do. Always. Historically, it's, I mean, yeah. I, I never went to college. I was too busy learning stuff. And I've never read many books. I haven't read any books. I think I wrote King Dog of the North. You, and don't, you don't read books at all? I don't read books. Um, I fuck? write books. But I uh, study information. And I communicate with wise people who do know history. And I got to tell you, stuff like uh, um, the Discovery Channel and the occasional Nova special, when they delve into the history, and even a guy like Tucker Carlson who brings forth unlimited evidence to support his statements. And whether it's footage like the footage of uh, Fast and Furious or whether it's footage of the president claiming that our Second Amendment won't help against the government unless we have F-15s and nuclear weapons. I don't need to know anything more than what I hear from the mouths of suspicious people that are executing tyranny and control over innocent lives. And here's a part of the problem with what he said. The military is run by regular people. It's regular people that are the army. It's regular people. That's that right. Are, we the people. The Marines, the navies, the SEALs, uh, all the, the Green Berets, the Rangers. Those are regular people. Those are those are not tyrants. I've I've done those are us. I've done raids with ATF agents, DEA agents, FBI agents. Did you Texas ask them Rangers. why the tobacco and the alcohol and the firearms I did, all together? <laughs> and they they don't like it. Of course they don't, don't like it when I ask them, and they don't they don't like it when I ask them how they face their children. And they don't like it when I ask them how they could follow somebody like J. Edgar Hoover or James Comey. Right. Um, they don't like it when I ask them. Because, and, and here's the horror of it. You ready for the... I've said a lot of hard things here today. And I've said a lot of lovely, buoyant things today. A lot of positive stuff. Mostly yeah, you've positive. gotten hills and valleys, I Ted. Think, yeah, I got this thing called life. It's called a Nuance. roller coaster. You know? You're it's, all over the place. It's an adventure. Yeah, I'm all over the place. I live a full life. God bless me. The, AT, the FBI agents that decided to commando up and go arrest Roger Stone with the CNN cameras rolling, how do you obey an immoral command like that? How do you obey an oath-violating command like that? And I know these guys. I hunt with these guys. I train with these guys. I, I shoot with these guys. I bullshit with these guys. And you know what they say? The horror of horrors this is going to be the lowest point of this entire exchange today. I'd lose my pension. Great. Great. So morals be damned. Your conscience is put on hold so you can get a paycheck even though you're violating your fellow Americans' rights. I don't think we can be friends. I, I, I'm, in, I'm incapable of that. There's morals. There's conscience. You all know what's right and what's wrong. And there's so many examples, whether it's Lauren, Lon Horiachi, why that prick's not in prison or facing Who's that? It's the guy who shot Vicki Weaver. Oh, this is the... Ruby Ridge. Ruby Ridge, yeah. So this guy, yeah. so you can just shoot people? Really? How about the, how about the, the ATF clusterfuck with the Branch Davidians? I mean, there's no accountability. How about the, the... Heartbreaking, tragic, oath-violating clusterfuck of Benghazi. So it, it, it's that's water under the bridge, really. So if someone rapes your daughter, since she's already raped, we don't have to get the guy that did it. No, it's not done till you get the guy that did it, and he's eliminated one way or the other. There is no justice in America, and our our court systems until. Kyle Rittenhouse. I didn't think there was any justice left. Thank God for Kyle Rittenhouse. 
uh, I, I, I'm gonna, I think you probably read I'm sending him a, a lifetime supply of good ammo. Um, that was a moment in time for America where we can take a deep breath and go, thank God, a jury in Kenosha still has a soul, a conscience, and they understand glaring right over glaring wrong, glaring good over glaring evil. Is there a story in our lifetime that has had more misrepresentation in the media in terms of like what the narrative is versus what actually happened? Well, maybe when the Huffington Post wrote that I adopted a nine-year-old girl to have sex with. What's what's her name? The lies they've said about me. Nugent dodged the draft, didn't dodge the draft. Uh, Nugent's a racist. My ba- my base player is black. Um, it, it, they, they because they can't debate me because I'm my my speech is so drenched in evidence to support everything I stand for. Pierce Morgan, that they they know they can't debate me. I remember that the Pierce Morgan thing was fascinating because he tried to equate. He was talking about gun violence, but he, he he didn't understand that when he was quoting those numbers, so many of those people that died were killed in the process of committing crimes. Yes, or suicide. Yeah, not damn or thing suicide you do about with that. gun violence. Yeah. So many, but, so many instances. So, but what, what I want to get back to the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, though, it's like so many people didn't even know that he shot white guys. Until the trial was almost over, or people and I that I know that I was you. friends with, they didn't even know that someone had pulled a gun on him. They chased him down, or that the riots were based on the claim yes. by CNN that the 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 guy that the cops shot was dead. He, they didn't kill him. The cops murdered an unarmed black man. Uh, uh, Blake guy or whatever his name was that the cops were called in Kenosha, the Kenosha which, riots, imp- yeah. which was the impetus of the riots. They go, they murdered an innocent but, unarmed black man. But isn't he's it, alive? Isn't it fascinating too, though, that what happens during these uh, a lot of these riots is people that are already bad people use these riots as an excuse to do violent acts. And that's what you saw with the one guy that he shot that was a multiple offender pedophile. Lifetime. Yeah, I mean, he, he had had he had raped multiple young kids. I mean, he's a fucking horrible person. A devil. The other guy was a, a wife beater, a domestic abuser. These these guys that were there were horrific people. I I get a shout out to you recently. I don't know if anybody told you that, but I gave a shout out to Michael Berry and Joe Pags and Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and and Lars Larson and Mark Davis. All these conservative talk show people. There's a there's a term I, I beseech you to begin parroting, and it is at the core of all heartbreak, tragedy, and victimization, engineered victimization in America. And the term I coined in a recent well that's not recent it was years ago, is that based on many uniform crime reports by the FBI, one of the rare moments where they can be trusted, is that. Upwards of 96% of violent crime, that's a huge number. It's as good as 100% as far as I'm If you're 96% likely to kill an elk on that hunt, you're going to probably kill an elk. 96% of violent crime is committed by repeat offenders. What we are living in today mm. is the scourge of engineered recidivism. The violent offenders that are... Guaranteed to repeat their crimes are let out by the courts, the judges, the prosecutors, the parole boards, and the negotiation of early release or plea bargaining. Well, I know he shot a guy, but maybe we can get him to testify against the guy who drove the getaway car. No, no, stop. Engineered recidivism. 
All the when, you, when you say engineered, do you think this is done on purpose? Yes, it has to be because okay. you can't not know it. If I was a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist person, I would I would say that too. And I'm resisting it with, with every fucking fiber of my being. As do but, I. But when I look at shit like what's going on in Los Angeles in particular, where they are letting people out left and right, and you've nationwide, got armed robberies Joe. all over the place, it is nationwide. But, but I know what LA used to be like because I used to live there. It used to be different just five years ago. Sure. It was very different. But the district attorney that they have now, this guy Gascon. Monster. He, George Soros put Evil's in, best friend. It's, it's crazy the, the way they're letting people out of jail. Well, you were talking People to, that commit violent crimes. You were talking to Jacko or Jocko, one of your guys. Jocko had, Willink? Yeah, yeah. About the, the shootout, the... The, yeah, yeah, the Chicago one. Yeah, and they, they, they on film. They here's these guys combat. breaking felony after felony yeah. after felony with Killed illegal guns. Felony. They got him on film. They know the guy. There's his picture. He's yeah. on film. Nobody's prosecuted. Not only you've got to be kidding me. They dropped all the charges. Yes. due to mutual combat, yeah, mutual which combat. is supposed to be two guys having a fist fight. That's what mutual combat supposed to be. It's That's my point. That a fucking is shootout. That is engineered recidivism. They but know why? these are. But here's the thing: Why are they doing that? There's that why question again. I don't give a shit. But it's I evil. do. I want to know what, what's the end goal. There, ha there must be some end goal to destroy society. But why would they want to? do I that? I can't imagine. That's, I can't imagine either, but if I look at And you have a it, great imagination. I have a great imagination. I could probably come up yeah. with some, well, maybe it's, well, maybe it's, maybe it's this. Don't give yourself you a headache. If you took all these steps, if you took all these steps, step one, defund the police. Step one, hire these insane, progressive, air quotes. Crime-loving prosecutors. DAs that are letting people off. And, and like the guy in Wisconsin that ran over those 50 people. <sighs> That guy, they had just, he had tried to run over his fucking girlfriend. Engineered he was out on only $1,000 bail. I he knew. tried to kill somebody with a car. He was out on $1,000 bail, and then he runs over 50 people in a car. Engineered recidivism. And then here's the fucked up part. The way they're covering that story in the news. It's all about the car. The man, you know, there's, it's not the man who killed those people. It's, the car. it's a, an accident that was caused by an SUV. A fucking SUV caused an accident? What are you saying? Did it go haywire? Did the, the auto driving feature go nuts and it just plowed into the crowd? No, that Engineered. evil man with real problems, like a really psycho psychologically fucked human being, drove into a crowd of strangers. Listen to the words out of the prosecutorial team at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Listen to the words out of their mouths and don't give yourself a headache. You'll get an aneurysm if you pursue the question, why would they say that? Why would that prosecuting team say that when someone is attacking you with a gun and a skateboard that we all have to put up with a beating once in a while and there's no reason Is that really to, what they said? They said it that way? They said... There's, we all have to put up with a beating once in a while. That Was that actual the, words that they said? Silly, we all have to put up with a beating? Listen to me closely. Really? Yes. We, <laughs> Jamie will find it. There's, First of all, I've seen uh, I see, saw a what, video don't of a security why. guard that got hit in the head with a skateboard and they caved his skull yes, in. Yes, that's my point. permanent brain damage. It's They're, a horrible photo. Like the Half of his head is like caved in. People in charge of justice are claiming that you must take a beating with a guy with an oak skateboard and a Glock pointed at your head, that you just need to bend over, spread your cheeks, and take
take it. That's what the prosecuting team said. That's what the Chicago think, prosecutor said. That's what yeah. the New York prosecutor said. That's what the Portland prosecutor said. That's what the Seattle prosecutor said. That's what the Atlanta prosecutor said. One week before the cop shot the guy that was running, uh, he was on parole already, stealing a Mercedes, and he turned the taser gun on the cop. The week before that event, the prosecutor said, yes, uh, when faced with a, uh, the deadly force of a, of a taser gun, deadly force is justified. Now, since the the guy with the taser was black and the cop was white, now the same prosecutor said there's no reason to shoot a man with a taser gun because it can only cause temporary harm. Are you, don't ask why. Don't ask why a guy would lie. First of all, that that's not logical. Here's here's why there that's is not logical. no logic. Why if someone hurt shoots yourself. you with a taser, then they have your gun. Because if you're tased, then they have your gun. Yes, and you if you're move. unarmed, Michael yeah. Brown, and you're attacking this cop, you're unarmed until you get the cop's gun, and statistically, you will he will kill him with the cop's gun. You must neutralize this person. I just don't understand. You will never understand. It's not to be understood because yeah. you're a good man, and you're good but it causes evil to be confusing. So just let but it be confusing. there's so much going on that's so crazy that it makes your head hurt. When you hear about like them essentially like allowing people to come across the border from Mexico, they're trying to stop it now. Apparently, Biden is going to reinstate Trump's stay in Mexico policy, which, which he criticized and called racist. A little too late. And now there's such an influx of people coming in from the Mexican border that they're trying to do something about it. But they're moving these people to all these different states. At the same time, mm. they're trying to say that having an ID to vote is racist, which at the same time, they're saying you have to have an ID to show that you've been tested for COVID. At the same time, or that you've been vaccinated for COVID, but at the same time, they're not vaccinating these people who they're letting into the country. It is wild. Which is why I never ask why. But I ask why. My brain, my brain tells me that it is so bizarre. It's so it bizarre. It is so illogical. It is so wrong that you just... Old Yeller brings you the newspaper and your slippers. He <laughs> saves you from the rattlesnake and the cougar. Hug him kiss him give him a bone you wake up one morning and old yeller's foaming at the mouth it's gonna hurt but you're gonna have to shoot the motherfucker because he's got rabies because logic should rule the day and yeah. if you try to ask why anything from the left you'll have an aneurysm because the there is no answer but don't you think that there's something to asking why because if you can at least show the path of corruption that led to these district attorneys that are willing to let out violent criminals that threaten everybody's health and safety. And if you could show that to people that have been in support of more lenient policies in terms of like prosecuting criminals, and you could show them that this is what's going on and that this is somehow or another, there's it's almost like it's engineered. If and but that this will cause people to question things and maybe make people more aware of how fucked these people are that are making these laws are. The people I, are that are enforcing these laws or not enforcing these laws. I will give you the benefit of the doubt that the question why may facilitate an inquiry into the origins of this evil and corruption. It's going to open people's eyes and what but they I, call red pill them, right? I have found more effective just spotlighting the cockroaches, identifying their insanity. And let's just talk left versus right. My brother and I have this unbelievable friction right now 
because he hated Trump to such a degree that he called me the maniac. And I love you, Jeff. I truly love my brother. He's a great man. <laughs> so you hated Trump. If So that means you're siding with this evil force that's taken over our government now. So someone explained to me and give me an example of where open borders brought quality of life. You can't. Tell me where engineered recidivism and the unleashing of the most evil savages in the human race onto our streets is benefiting quality. Of, and my, I could go right down the list. Yeah. The left's agenda, I don't need to know why they're doing it. I just need to identify that they are doing it and how innocent lives are being lost. Look at the prosecutor in Waukesha yeah. who's on record that I know my diverting prosecution will cause the loss of innocent lives. That's quite a statement. He said my This choice. is the guy that let the guy out yes. for $1,000 bail. My choice. That ran over 50 people. And Jamie will put it up on the screen. My choice, my decision, said the prosecutor in Waukesha, a great community. I love those people. I've been performing in Wisconsin for over 60 years. So he said he knew that it would cause a loss of life. He said my diversionary prosecution, diverting prosecution, would cause the loss of innocent life. But here's the clincher, and don't ask why. But I stand by my decision. That is the same thing as saying I want innocent lives lost. Don't ask why. That's just pure Don't you also think there's a political evil. climate? There's a political climate of police reform and of justice reform. And this is, you know, I'm all for... I'm all for letting innocent people get out of jail that uh, you know the innocence projects done amazing work exposing where corrupt cops hey, God have put people in jail for corrupt crimes systems, they did yes. not in corrupt systems put people in jail for crimes they did not commit Horror. but when someone is like that guy who ran over those people that guy was a tortured soul he's a horrible human being like it's it's clear if you pay attention dangerous to, dangerous they let him out and he committed a, a horrendous evil that is fucked and I don't think it's a right or a left thing here's the thing about open borders you know you think about the left who's more left than Bernie Sanders it's about as left as it gets right yeah Jamie go to my Twitter go to my Twitter because there's a conversation with uh, Ezra Klein who's also like super left who's talking to Bernie Sanders I believe it's from 2015 well I admit they Sanders but no Bernie Sanders has an, an a fascinating take on open borders and I think a lot of people be shocked to hear this with the thoughts of today like because if today in this climate if you say anything against open borders you're you're some kind of a racist and a monster right listen listen to this because it's fascinating just press clear something that is in what you said about being a democratic socialist is a more international view oh, but I, I have seen this global this. poverty that's seriously it leads you to conclusions that in the US are considered out of political bounds things like sharply raising the level of immigration we permit, even up to the up to a level of open borders, about sharply increasing open borders. Open no, borders. That's a, that's a Koch brothers proposal. The really? idea of course. I mean that's a right wing proposal which says essentially there is no United States. But it would, anybody it can, would make a lot me. of global poor richer, wouldn't it? And it'd make everybody in America poor. Then you're doing away with with the concept of a nation state. And I don't think there's any country in the world which believes in that. If you believe 
in a nation state or in a country called the United States or UK or Denmark or any other country, you have an obligation, in my view, to do everything we can to help poor people. What right-wing people in this country would love is an open border policy. Bring in all kinds of people who work for 2 or $3 an hour. That would be great for them. I don't believe in that. I think we have to raise wages in this country. I think we have to do everything that we can to create the millions of jobs. You know what youth unemployment in the United States of America today? If you're white, a white kid, high school graduate, 33%, a Hispanic, 36%, African-American, 51%. You think we should open the borders and bring in a lot of low-wage workers? Or do you think maybe we should try to get jobs for those kids? So I think from a moral responsibility, we've got to do work with the rest of the industrialized world to, uh, to address the problems of international poverty. But you don't do that by making people in this country even how amazing is that? It's amazing, but I give him credit for a rare, maybe one-time hiccup of sense. But within that <laughs> rare one-time hiccup of sense about borders, he tried to convince somebody, not me, that it's a right-wing policy of open borders. Well, I think he just thought that because you could get a lot of cheap labor to come in and you could pay them as little as possible. Except that the evidence is irrefutable and inescapable that the open borders is a direct result of Barack Obama and, and Joe Biden and the left. It's a left thing. Well, I, it, is, it certainly is now. It certainly is now. I mean, what's, ha what's happening now is certainly the way, the way people are looking at it now is a direct result of this idea that to not have open borders is somehow racist, to want to stop people that are coming in here. And I want people to do better. I, I, I want people that want to come into this country and work hard. I love to be immigration. Able to have that opportunity. I'm all for yeah. immigration. Yeah. I'm all for banking. I'm not for bank robbing. Right. And I'm all right. for. It, it, see, but that's it's just what the but left this does. This is just fascinating that ideologically things have shifted so much that, like, what the parameters are of, like, what's. What is acceptable points that you could talk about and the way you could say it? If someone tried to talk like that on the left today, they, they would say, this is a alt-right person. How old, how old is that? 2015. Isn't that amazing? Six yeah. years later, the world's gone fucking wacky. It's social media. Yeah. Social media and these echo chambers of these fucking kids that get right out of universities or in, in universities right now and then get out and they're in these social justice warrior echo chambers and they just spout out this shit. And they, they do it without any understanding of what the ramifications are of what they're doing. When he's saying that, that this is a Koch brothers idea, if you tried to say that today, people would laugh in your face. Yeah, because, They'd be like, what the fuck Because are you it's laughable, about? yeah. But he, what he's saying, he, I understand his perspective. He's saying that, and he's, he's looking at it from this cartoonish version of what a right-wing person is. The cartoonish version meaning this heartless person who wants slaves. You want people to work for pennies. So wrong. It's so false. It's right. just false, 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 false. But they well, have to go to that outrageous, dishonest misrepresentation to make their point because Bernie is a communist. And and I would never I don't care if he supported buying me ammo. He'd still be a communist. It was probably just a tactic to try to make a uh, to weasel his way into a believability factor because overall, all of these leftists the media, academia, big tech, when they censor the recommendation of how people can get healthy when it's been Insane. proven from a doctor, I don't need to ask why. Yeah. It's bad. It's They're peer reviewed. bad people. Yeah, well, that, that, this, this, the COVID narrative is the most insane. So, Joe, if I was in charge, and Which, I am in charge of my life. Yes. I'm in charge of my life. I'm the authority. Nobody has authority over me.
Now, I obey the laws, but I'd like to think that the laws that I obey came from we the people for safe, secure, um, compassionate, um, pleasurable, quality of life perspectives. Yeah. Um, my son Rocco, my, all my kids, my grandkids, my brother and sister, my incredible wife, Shemaine. Shemaine, I love you so much. It's, it's deep into the realm of stupid I love you so much. My band, my crew, my Linda, been my personal assistant for 33 years. Oh, Linda, I love you so much. And Doug, my manager, for 40-some years. You're giving a lot of shout-outs. Yeah, I do. And I love these people. That What's your, what's your experience? And you invited me. I'm them. I'm the, I'm the mouth and effervescence, dare I say, of the positive, quality, smart cocky, hardworking, critical thinking, buoyant, energized people in my life. All the people in my life, all my friends. I'm doing a Ted Nugent greasy speakeasy at Tucker Hall in Waco on Saturday, December 4th with Johnny Kutz on drums and Johnny Big on bass with Calvin Ross, Lone Star Music. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of shout-outs because my life would be meaningless without the people I'm shouting out to. Right. We're getting somewhere, though. And, yes, we're getting somewhere that my perspective and how I manage my life, you can't call it right-wing. You call it sensible and thoughtful. That's the problem, isn't it, that there is a right-wing and a left-wing? Because I think a lot of people are in the middle. A lot of people are I think, believe me when I, and I, I would like your take on it i'm a middle guy i got gay friends and black friends and tri- trans friends and i could you have give trans a friends how many trans friends i, just, you have? I got at the last nra convention i had these trans guys coming up to me i guess they were guys i don't know <laughs> they love me guys. they hug me yeah. and they love that i stand up for their freedom self-defense and first amendment and and people on the st- I, I would love to see what this country would be like Without any censorship on the internet, I really would. I would be zero. Fa- I would be fascinated to be see way better than this. With if you could express yourself with no limitations on social media, where I mean, I'm not often mean like doxing people, giving people's addresses. Away. You can't threaten, right? But what I do mean is, if you could argue your position freely without any worry of being pulled from the internet, because that has happened to so many people, you know, like. There's so many people whose voices have been completely silenced and there's people that are famous that have had their voices silenced and there's people that you've never heard of that for whatever reason they said something that someone didn't agree with so they just banned them. It's unbelievable. It's it's, so wrong. It's it's fascinating because just like with Mike Hart, this thing with it's just vitamin D. Unbelievable. There's things like that. You know, there was a thing called the Unity 2020 Project that Brett Weinstein tried to put together and the idea was to bring people from the left and the right that were sensible people. The idea was to bring someone like Dan Crenshaw and Tulsi Gabbard, bring them together and create this third party, a unity party, right? They banned them from Twitter for that. I bet. They banned them from Twitter this there was no threats there was no violence there was no spamming there was nothing it was just a position that they thought could endanger the chances yes. of the Democrats winning yes and so they justified pulling them and censoring them from the internet what would it be like if people could have these free conversations just talk about things and I think you know we, we, we could find a lot of fucking common ground if we could do that you the, do that and we yes. salute you for that but have you ever had a hardcore communist leftist Che Guevara fan on 
I've had Bernie on. Yeah, but does he hold? I love Bernie. Does he Listen, hold back? I still to the, no, he didn't hold back at all. I, I, I think Bernie is a good person. I think he has good values and good ideas. I just think he how lives in find, a different world. But how he can you find a, good in a communist agenda? I don't, think that it's a com, I don't think it's a communist agenda. I think he calls himself a democratic socialist. And the idea is doing better for the people, the working people and the working families, and making sure that people can't take advantage of these people by not paying them a fair wage. This has always been his position. I'm, that's my position. Yeah, but he, his the position is to unions? look at things like speculative trading and take a small percentage of that, less than a fraction of a penny off of these crazy stock deals that they're doing, where they're using algorithms. Take that and using it for infrastructure, using it for education, using it for healthcare. I mean, I don't know if it would work. Great I'm a, concept. I'm not the guy. Great right? concept. I'm not an economist. I'm not a politician. I'm a fucking moron. I'm a cage-fighting commentator who's also a stand-up comedian. You know, I'm not that Those guy. Those are quite the credentials, by the way. Strange. <laughs> strange almost group. as good as a guitar player. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a bow-hunting fan. <laughs> All right. But let, mean, let me comment on that. So, so that's his perspective to help the little guy to take a little tiny little piece, uh, some crumbs, as they said in The Godfather 2, um, to wet my beak. Um, who do we put in charge of that? Would we put a bureaucracy that's, that's in charge of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms? No, no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. This They're is the untrustworthy. problem. Untrustworthy. Well, the problem is anybody dumb enough to want to do that fucking job. The problem is anybody that wants to be in the position to control where the money goes. These people are almost always to in some it. way or another entangled. They'll steal it. Right. There's there's entanglements. Just like where I was saying my friend who was working and, you know, working for these pharmaceutical companies and he would get deep in with these companies or deep in with these doctors and deep in with the nurses and know their families. It's like this weird sort of legal corruption. This uh, this way that they can infiltrate these people's lives sure. to influence them. And that's the problem. The problem is the size of government. It's just so big, and Loaded. it has so much fucking power. Yep. It has way more power than it ever had in the past, and here's, they want more. And during COVID, those powers have grown. Here's the pulse I get from my campfires. And again, people have to really think for a minute what this perspective is. We're working hard, playing hard, American shit kickers. Just people who bust their ass. The the people in the arena, the swirling dust of battle, of the, the ups and downs of life, and they stumble and they dust themselves off and get back up and try again. Maybe they wanted to be a, a musician, but they couldn't make it, so they became a plumber. Um, and, but they're a great plumber. And so they didn't get their dream dream, but they still bust their ass to be in the asset column. There's two columns. There's the liability column and the asset right. column. So my perspective is from, and again, not just this year's, but this year it was really quite quite voluminous, quite quite heated. Good American families don't trust any of the bureaucracies. We don't trust the CDC. We know that the WHO is an arm of the Communist Party. We don't trust the FDA. We don't trust the USDA. And I could give you examples in every instance how they're not trustworthy. In, in Michigan, uh, if you use a feeder, you'll uh, c cause the transmission of uh, uh, chronic wasting disease. So we must ban the use of feeders. But since the deer hunters didn't get enough deer because they weren't able to use attractants, uh, the USDA comes in with big giant feeders that says USDA on it. Ah! 
Who could possibly trust that glaring dishonesty and hypocrisy? You know, my favorite one is the recent decision of the FDA where they tried to stop the Freedom of Information Act to releasing yes! information about COVID for 55 years about the vaccines. Yeah, that's a trustworthy maneuver. You, but pull that up because it's something I'm aware to of behold it. when you look at now, it. See, I don't, I don't read books, but I read this stuff. This I stuff s- is this is so wild. I've sent this to doctors and they and I literally sent it to a doctor friend of mine and her and she's pro vaccine and her her take was what in the fuck yes, is this yes that was her take and so she my, hardly swears I'm sharing a take from hardworking this Americans. is Reuters by the way folks we don't trust this any is of Reuters them. and I believe that the head guy from Reuters is on the board at Pfizer which is or excuse That's me all you on need the to know. Bo- no 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 excuse me on the board of the FDA. I, be, I believe, or Pfizer, maybe. But he was recently on the board of Pfizer. I think I'm wrong. I they go I'm wrong. from Pfizer no, 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 to the no, no. FDA. But, no, 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 no. The guy from Reuters, I think, is on the board of Pfizer. Just check that, because I want to make sure I'm right here. Because I saw it's, this, but it's so. But, but but my point is, it's so egregious that even Reuters, where the head guy is at the board of Pfizer, put this out, and it says, "Wait, what?" Question mark. FDA wants 55 years to process Freedom of Information Act request over vaccine data. That means they essentially want as much time as it takes where everyone who's involved is dead. Mm-hmm. So no one can be held accountable. Something like the Warren Report, maybe? Yes, very similar to the Warren Report because they just initially, recently rather, very recently stopped Ex- releasing all the... They, yeah, extended. They, yeah, extended it even further. They, they Joe, would not release the transcripts. So I, I, I would like uh, all my... Uh, FDA. Find out what the, if that's the the guy from Reuters because I need to be clear on this because I don't I don't I'm I'm pretty right. sure right. that's I'm right. Yes. Say say what the, what it says. The CEO of Reuters is on the board for Pfizer. Thank you on the screen. There and, you go. and then and how meanwhile about, they're still they're still posting that. That's how egregious it is. It's so egregious that even even Reuters is like, what the fuck are you doing? And they their wait what is my what the fuck? God damn it, Ted. It's rampant. It's, it's like the guy, the, uh, the, uh, the, not the attorney, Joy, I guess it is the U.S. Attorney General, um, who's got his fingers in the, uh, the books that goes to the education system. His son runs the books, his son-in-law runs the books that are being sold to the, the education systems across America. And he's banning alternative uh, education material because his son-in-law has a deal with the teachers union. Well, how about this crazy one? How about the Hunter Biden laptop? Is that the most crazy thing ever? They they literally banned Don't. the New York Post from put the one of the oldest re- newspapers in the fucking country. They banned the New York Post articles from being shared on Twitter. And I know you're inquisitive and you're you're uh, suspicious, but don't ask why. There is no answer. They're just All right. horrible. I'm not asking why anymore. Horrible. I'm going to take off a whole day for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm not asking why. Go, go, T- Ted Nugent. We've been talking for more than three hours. Have we really? Yes. Jeez, will you, I'm just will you play us out up? with a riff. Will you give us I a riff and yeah. wrap this bad boy up? I love riffs. Listen, yeah. man. I'm glad we did this again. Yeah, I appreciate here, you Joe. very Thank much. You. You're always a lot of fun to be around, man. Well, again, I, I love life. Um, I thank God every day. I know you do. You're uh, you're a super positive person. You really are. And I like to I like to maximize the good and fight against the evil. And I do really appreciate the fact that you've been a musician for all these decades, and you so obviously fucking love it. Hi. And you've been a bow hunter for all these years, all and you my so life. obviously love it. I probably picked up the guitar and the bow. At the age of three or four, maybe? and I am a I am a fan of enthusiasm. I love enthusiasm. I love people who love what they do. So please, Ted Nugent, 
play us out. I'm a fan of enthusiasm. See, I don't know what that is. I've never played that before. Beautiful. time when I didn't care nothing mattered to me I swear then something happened and I came alive and I found you and I found fire and I never stopped believing And I can't stop dreaming And I got a dream Like Martin Luther King In my heart I hear that man sing So I climb up his mountain And I shout it out loud Cause I got a dream I swear to God, and I never stop believing, and I can't stop dreaming, and I know many gave all on my knees, I humbly fall. 
I see the crosses and old glory and that's why nothing will ever stop me and I never stop believing and I can't stop dreaming Ted Nugent, ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye, America and the rest of the world. We love you. Live it up, motherfuckers. Be nice to each other. Bye. Kisses and hugs. <laughs> <laughs>